It's never not a good time to thank black women in America for their services to the republic, for stepping up again and again to save American democracy through their sacrifices, their strength, their activism, their votes. But this month in particular, we should thank black women for doing what a bunch of white guys have failed to do for years. Hold Donald Trump, hold a former president, accountable for his alleged criming. And the fact that they're the ones doing it must be killing Trump. Can you believe that someone actually had the audacity of other names? Look, unironically, there's never listen to what he said and then wait until you hear the punchline. It's this never not a good time to thank black women in America for their services to the republic, for stepping up again and again to save American democracy through their sacrifices, their strength, their activism, their votes. But this month in particular, we should thank black women for doing what a bunch of white guys have failed to do for years. It's never not a good time, according to Mehdi Hassan, to it's never not a good time to thank black women. According to Mehdi Hassan, you should look at people and just immediately determine what is the color of their skin and then thank them. Of course, that's Mehdi Hassan's position um, when they agree with Mehdi Hassan and when they do what Mehdi Hassan uh, wants him to do. Oh, my goodness. Don't, don't, don't hold on. Hold on. What did Mehdi Hassan say yesterday? Well, oh, yeah, that's right. He got into a fight with a black woman on Twitter. He wasn't thanking her for her service. He wasn't thanking her for her devotion to the Republic. He was trying to humiliate her and fight with her and demean her and degrade her on Twitter. I, I, look, Brianna Joy Gray. I don't know who she is. Some people are saying that, you know, she's a shill and a... I don't know. Just throw these words out there. I know that she seems to have worked for the uh, Bernie Sanders campaign. But, but Mehdi Hassan was not thanking her for her dedication to the Republic. Yesterday on Twitter, he was trying to mock her and scorn her in front of the entire world. He said uh, in response to her first tweet, don't vote shame me. Second tweet, let me vote shame you. That was one of the interactions that he had instead of thanking her for her sacrifice. What was the other one that he had here? Uh, 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 bu, 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 don't get to the tweet that, uh, there was another one. Nobody is lowering the bar for Biden, silly woman. How dare you be so daft? Thousands of organizers and activists on immigration, labor rights, criminal justice reform are all pushing Biden to do better. Almost none of them think a second Trump term would be same or better than or a second Biden term. That's just you, silly, silly woman. I'm not thanking you today because you're not going after Trump. You said something I disagree with. Well, apparently this was, where is it? This was the straw that broke Mehdi Hassan's back. I said, Mehdi Hassan, shaming a woman and person of color. What a racist, misogynist piece of garbage Mehdi Hassan is. Plus, she's a Bernie supporter. I do love watching the revolution devour its own. And then, hallelujah, testify, people. Mehdi Hassan has finally blocked me. On Twitter. Look, I'm not saying I was trying to do it. No, but I am just surprised it took this long for Mehdi Hassan to finally block me on Twitter. Because I have been. There are a number of blue check mark MSM legacy media propagandists who I find particularly noxious. Particularly noxious. Uh, Jake Tapper, yes, but there's other ones. Uh, no lie with Brian something Cohen. BTC. 
I find him particularly noxious. Uh, there's a guy, Bruce Arthur, coming out of Canada, particularly noxious. One who is a notch above all the others in terms of noxious toxicity, arrogance, pomposity, hypocrisy, dishonesty, disingenuous, malicious, malicious disingenuousness is Mehdi R. Hassan. He comes out with that patronizing, in-your-face, we should thank black women for doing what a bunch of white men are not doing, going after Trump. Oh, and then when they say something he doesn't disagree with, well, he has no, by the way, if according to media, uh, uh, did I take down that video? You got to go watch that whole four minute clip where he says Trump is a proven racist and he's particularly racist when he insults black women. Whenever he insults them, it's racism because he calls them words. And when he says, what did he say? He used the term um, disrespectful when Trump referred to uh, Katanji Brown Jackson as disrespectful. Mehdi Hassan viewed that as racism. There he goes with that word again, disrespectful. What a racist thing to say. If, according to Mehdi R. Hassan, when Trump attacks a black woman, it's racism, that must mean that when Mehdi Hassan does it, in his own mind, it has to be racism as well. I, I'm like, I have not read the book Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky, but I know the rules. Hold the enemy to their standards. You want to make that stupid ass rule up, Mehdi R. Hassan? When Trump calls a black woman uh, disrespectful, it has to be racism. All right, then when you make fun of someone, when you try to poke uh, someone on the interwebs, it also has to be racism by your own standards in your own mind when you did that. Blocked, I tell you, hallelujah. It was like, uh, it was like a train wreck. It was like um, roadkill on a highway, I like to say, or an accident on the highway. Like you can't help but read Mehdi Hassan's Twitter feed and you want to comment on all of it. You want to avoid it. You want to look away. You want to not smell the foul odor that is that dead skunk on the highway. But you drive by it and you say, don't smell. It's going to smell terrible. And you have to. And you have to look over and you have to see the train wreck. The absolute in-your-face uh, propaganda, disingenuous dishonesty. His interview with uh, Matt Taibbi. You have to watch it. And it has to enrage you because if it doesn't enrage you, you don't have a soul. Okay. I've gone this far and I haven't checked to see that we are live on all platforms, across all platforms. Are we? We're live on Rumble People, Viva Fry. I just noticed I'm at 372,000 subscribers on uh, Rumble. Booyah. We're live on Rumble. We should be live on vivabarnslaw.locals.com where Roostang says Viva is obsessed with Hassan. I am obsessed with those who I believe are contributing to the downfall of society. That, that, that picture of uh, the dude giving Trump the middle finger. Oh, that was no, that was no lie with, with Brian Taylor Cohen, whatever the hell his name is. No lie with BTC. Spoiler alert, it's all lies. I got to show you this. I got to show you this. This is like, th there's a propaganda piece where they show you like the picture according to the propagandists and reality. It's reality. Look at this. Look at this. Oh my goodness. The wrath of the Iowans at that Iowa Buckeye versus Iowa State University. Look at these people. Everyone was flipping the bird to Donald. You see this picture, by the way. You Google this picture. You're going to find this snip and clip picture across media because they want to paint a narrative that the crowd was booing at Donald Trump. 
and that they were all giving him the bird. That's, this is the propaganda picture, by the way. I was like, Jesus, I have to go. I have to. This is the actual picture. These yellow dashes through the people there was so that I could highlight the fact that there were easily in this frame, 40 people. I think I counted 35 yellow strips just so that I could you know, make sure I got them all. But I'm sure there are some tucked in there that we can't see. There's one right here that I know I missed right there. Easily 35 to 40 people. How many people giving him the bird? Oh, well, they're giving him two fingers. One, two, three. Three people giving Donald Trump the middle finger. Apparently, there are some people who rightly observe, if you look up here in the picture, everybody, you see that guy right up here pointing down? He's wearing the Iowa, whatever that other opponent jersey is. He's pointing down at the people who seem to be giving him the bird. On top up here, I had to look up the jerseys is the uh, rival team jersey. Now, I'm not saying that's the explanation. I heard some boos when I listened to the video and I saw people seemingly giving the bird, flipping the bird to Donald Trump. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. 40 people, uh, three of them, 10% are gonna give the bird? That doesn't, that doesn't shock me. But the media wants to portray this as the reality? And then you get Brian, no lie with Brian BTC, whatever the heck his name is. It's like, it's a, it's a joke. We're living in a world where people are profiting off of purveying disinformation. And I say this in full awareness that the people, the trolls that I have on Twitter are going to say, Viva, you're doing the same thing. I openly call for an audit of everything that I've ever said. If I have ever made a mistake that I have not corrected, I invite people to call me out on it. I do an audit of my own accuracy because I don't want to be in a position where I've ever said something that wasn't true, that I did not correct myself. It's happened. I've made mistakes. If you came for perfection, I'm flattered. You're going to stay for the humanity. Uh, but I have particular disdain for the people who try to shape fake narratives so they can actually contribute to the downfall division of society through misinformation and disinformation. If society is divided over factually correct information, that's the price of living in society. So I do have particular disdain and particular scorn for Mehdi Hassan. But I also have a lot of disdain and a lot of scorn for a lot of other journalists out there. So anyway, all that to say, we're done. Good evening, everybody. Uh, this is going to be one hell of a show. The, the world, I'm not going to lie. I wake up and my wife has been saying that I've been doing this a lot. Just like randomly. She's like, what are you sighing about? It's like, I just had another thought that's irritating me. You wake up and you say, have we reached the bottom of this madness yet? And no, we haven't. No, we haven't. Lawsuits coming out of Colorado to keep Trump off the ballot. Um, it's, it's, it's an endless race to the bottom. I, I don't know where it ends. I don't know how it gets better. And I don't know if it's actually pushing people to the despair of apathy. They say the opposite of love is hate. It isn't. Hate is as much a passion as love is. The opposite of love is apathy. Shit, I just, I think I screwed up. The opposite of love is, no, apathy. It's indifference, I'm sorry. The opposite of love is indifference. I have a very bad feeling that the, the, this endless, this endless tyrant, this endless torrent, not tyrant, this endless torrent of misinformation, disinformation, gaslighting, uh, legal abuse, you know, spiritual, uh, Oh, spiritual oh, fatigue 
is going to push people not to hatred, but to indifference. Just leave me, leave me live. Give me a moment of quiet. Just let me be like that amazing scene from uh, Network. Just leave me alone for one second of the day. It will not. They will not. They want total, it's, it's, it, it, it is a torrent of tyrants. <laughs> oh, hello, Stewie. How, how's it going? It doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a bottom to the barrel. We're not yet there. All right, but we're going to explore the bottom of that barrel tonight. And my goodness, we're going we're gonna to have some fun with the governor of New Mexico. Holy crab apples. Before we get there, son of a beasting. Did I, I, did, I did put on, hold on, because I'm so neurotic, because I'm so intent on holding myself. I did. I did check the box that says contain a paid promotion, because it does. Thank our sponsor tonight. If you might be, um, you know, going a little crazy, you might be having a few too many thoughts of impending doom in your brain. What you can do to bring yourself back down to earth and to be a little bit healthy and be good to your body. You can have your greens, child. Most people don't know you're supposed to have between five and seven servings of raw fruits and vegetables daily. I do this pretty much every day. Sometimes I eat so much roughage, you don't want to know the end of that sentence. Um, but most people do not eat their five to seven servings of raw fruits and vegetables a day, and they should. Instead, they suck back a disgusting chemical-filled Diet Coke, or worse yet, a Red Bull. Uh, desiccated greens, powdered greens, people, fieldofgreens.com. You get the powdered greens. It's a food. It's not a supplement. It's not an extract. You mix it together. It looks like swamp water because it's rich in nutrients. One spoonful has one servings of fruits and vegetables with all of the antioxidants, nutrients that you need. If you can't get your raw fruits and vegetables, you can do this as a healthy alternative. One spoonful twice a day. It tastes delicious. Um, and uh, that's it. Made in America, USDA organic. Um, it's fantastic. Tastes delicious. It's a healthy habit. And if nothing else, it will also force you to focus on being good to the one temple that you have, your body. That's right. Promo code VIVA. Go to Viva, Viva Greens. Fieldofgreens.com. It brings you to Brickhouse Nutrition. Promo code VIVA for 15% off your first order. All right. Now, standard disclaimers. These beautiful things that you see here, these highlighted comments, they're called Rumble Rants on Rumble. They're called Super Chats on YouTube. YouTube takes 30% of that beautiful $10 Super Chat right there. So if you want to support the channel without also supporting YouTube, you can go to Rumble and do it there. Rumble ordinarily takes 20%, but for the rest of the year, they're taking 0%. Uh, 2024, they'll go back to taking their 20%. And best way to support? vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Seven bucks a month, $70 a year if you get the 12-month. Some people actually willingly contribute more because they like what we do. That's it. No medical advice, no election fortification advice, though we're talking some serious, serious election stuff tonight. All right, what did it say? Unvetted non-taxpayer. What struck me in that clip was the woman who says we need to be taken care of first. That big brother mindset is the problem in these dem-run cities. Cheryl Gage, so for those who are not in our vivabarnslaw.locals.com community, although I think I shared it on Twitter as well, it's that uh, very famous montage now of I think, I guess it's New York. I'm not exactly sure where it was, but it doesn't really matter. The principle is you have a bunch of people within a community saying they're bringing in, they don't say the word illegal immigrants. One of the guys literally said, what, what was the term he said? Unvetted non-taxpayer. 
What in the name of sweet holy hell is that? When you are complaining about the fact that your government is not taking care of you, a tax-paying citizen, because they are prioritizing or at the very least neglecting you because of illegal immigrants crossing the border illegally, coming into the country illegally, and then taking the resources that you as a taxpaying citizen have paid into the system, and yet you still insist on using the Orwellian newspeak term, unvetted non-taxpayer instead of illegal immigrant, I dare say that mindset might very well be part of the problem. Unvetted non-taxpayer. It, okay, it's, it, it's crazy. Now, let me see here if we got any. Well, we got a bunch of rumble rants, and we're live in um, the locals, vivabonslaw.locals.com. Let me bring, let me do one thing. I see Barnes is in the backdrop, and I'm going to bring this up because I, I Robert, I, I sent Robert the link right before the stream because someone sent me an interesting, um, interesting article. Uh, apparently, the, uh, some, some legal scholars are saying that Trump can get sued for selling his unadultered mugshot to raise money. Oh, I'm, I mean, it's an unannounced topic. I'm going to get Barnes to, to feel this one for me because it smells and sounds like a load of horse crap. Robert, are you ready, sir? He's uh, two, five minutes. Okay, two seconds. Um, while, on, while on the subject, however, because we have made modified creative, uh, creative changes First of all, the mugshot is public domain. Last I checked, though some legal scholars are thinking, oh, the, the, the mugshot might belong to the Fulton County Police Station and you're not allowed reproducing it without their, um, without their permission. You know, I'll pull up the article. It was in the New York Post. Uh, you might want to get some of the best damn merchandise anyone has ever designed. You'll notice the creative... Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Transformation of the image to an old Western style wanted. Wanted for president. The wanted for president mugshot shot glass. It's amazing. The wanted for president mugshot coffee mug. It's a play on words here. Or the mugshot wanted for president shirt. Uh, VivaFry.com and there's a ton of other stuff there which you can get the above average stuff oh my goodness okay barnes looks like he's ready you ready sir come on in how goes the battle good good you look younger by the way did you get uh you got a, a hair trim and a beard trim yeah exactly it's amazing you look like 10 years you look like a, almost like a baby with a goatee when it happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um robert look my brother one of my brothers sent me the article or said did you hear about this and i googled it have you heard about this that there that some legal scholars are, th are suggesting trump can get sued civilly by the fulton county police station for selling the unadulterated mug, uh, mugshot have you heard that yeah yeah I, I commented on it at the time the uh i think we dealt with this issue back a ways when someone was trying to litigate uh the issue of of whether there's a right of privacy and a mugshot and because there's a bunch of publications that all they do is publish mugshots. Um, they're now subject to a range of state laws that say that, you know, if someone requests it, you have to withdraw it under certain circumstances. Also, some of these publications were, you know, uh, borderline extortion. They're like, yeah, maybe we can take your photo down if you send us a little money, uh, that kind of thing. So the, uh, but there's no question on the federal side, federal government, cannot claim a copyright that's by law 
So the only question is, could the state government claim a copyright, number one, in general? And then two, could the state government claim a copyright in an identification photo, such as a mugshot, so-called mugshot? Historically, the answer is, I know of no case. I mean, there was actually someone arguing with Eric Hundley on this, saying that uh, that Eric was an idiot and everybody else was an idiot for not knowing that, of course, it's copyrightable. And as one of these law Twitter people, and so I was like, well, cite me the case. Cite me a single case from anywhere in American history where any government employee or agency has claimed a copyright in an identification mechanism, whether that's fingerprints, uh, photograph, DNA, you name it. Uh, Of course, he couldn't, and then he blocked me because people were starting (laughs) to rag him about not being able to give an answer when he was so arrogant and condescending like your typical law Twitter person is. The I know of none. Uh, the I, I, Nobody in Fulton County has made this claim. It was just some law professor who was eager to get her name in the news, and the Post circulated the story without any second guessing and without getting another side of that story. I pointed out that, as you pointed out, Generally speaking, mugshots are considered in public domain, and generally speaking, things in the public domain are not subject to copyright law. The second problem is whether a state government can claim it in general. The third is whether anybody uh, can claim it in per- for identification purposes other than the individual themselves, and that, that's problematic for a wide range of reasons. Th- this photograph wasn't taken for artistic purposes. It, it, it was... It, it yeah. wasn't taken voluntarily. So imagine they, no. they compel someone to submit for the mugshot and then say, I own the copyright in yeah. your face that I compelled yeah. you by law to submit to. It's, in, yeah. I say, inconceivable. And you have a right to court public. Uh, you have a right under various FOIA and freedom of information laws and sunshine laws and transparency laws to the public to have access to this. You, the purpose of the photograph is for public distribution. It's designed for one person. It's effectively used to shame people and the rest. But its purpose, its legal purpose, is to make sure that if a person flees, people know who it is so they can identify them for preventing that person from successfully fleeing. That's the predicate behind all identification taking information by the criminal justice process. In that capacity, it's intended to be publicly distributed as widely and broadly as possible, not to have someone claim authorship and a monopoly on any use of it. So that, again, no one has ever, to my knowledge, even claimed this in American history. And it's not like it's something new. I mean, mugshot magazines and publications have been around for the better part of a century. Uh, so the idea that this this was a completely novel claim that I don't think has any legal merit whatsoever. It, oh. It's least credibility would be against Trump, but I don't think there's credibility against it, period. There's always a fair use argument. I mean, uh, the one we're using, one for president, is clearly a fair use anyway. But the it strikes me as, yeah, it, you better go to VivaFry.com and buy it now because maybe they'll come and shut us down tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, no, it's it's a novel legal theory. And that seems to be exactly all that they're using to go after Trump these days, civilly and criminally. That sums up all the cases against Trump. Robert, we got some we got some stuff tonight. Do we want you want to do go over the menu very briefly and we'll do our two subjects here and then move over to Rumble exclusively? Yeah. So we have 12 topics. We'll do two here, 10 on Rumble and then three or four bonus topics exclusively to the after party where we answer all five dollar tipped questions and more at. Viva Barnes Law dot locals 
Sportsnet.com. The uh, top topic is the nutty New Mexico governor. It was the most popular topic on the board poll today, trying to ban guns in the name of emergency powers and showing that wherever you get your constitutional law, uh, don't get it from Ben Shapiro, because apparently Michael Knowles at the Daily Wire thinks that uh, such emergency power exists as an exception to the Constitution. We got to re-educate him. He needs he Jordan Peterson doesn't need the re-education camp, but Michael Knowles does. The uh, we'll talk about the Second Amendment win against California and before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. We'll talk about Musk. Elon Musk and X is suing California. Uh, what's the progress and possibility of that suit in light of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals big winning, banning the Biden administration from continuing to engage in social media censorship? The Eastman disbarment trial exposed a lot of issues about the 2020 election that many Americans still don't even know about. The uh, Attorney General, Texas Attorney General Paxson trial continues to expose what a complete crock most of the Republican leadership in Texas is, is that the ludicrous character of those accusations got fully unmasked this week in the trial in the Senate. Peter Navarro got to go through a show trial in the District of Columbia that now faces appeal after the rubber stamp conviction by the D.C. jury. Uh, the Obama judge doesn't think uh, doing things as a chief of staff for the White House just really has anything to do with federal employment uh, and denied a removal under very unusual arguments that got made there. Uh, more Jack Smith misconduct unearthed by the defense lawyer for one of the co-defendants in the classified documents case that may have broad ramifications for the entire case. New York's vaccine mandate on teachers got overruled and teachers were ordered to be reinstated this week. Uh, the abortion pill case, big decision out of the Fifth Circuit. And right away, the abortion lobby ran up to the U.S. Supreme Court and is begging the U.S. Supreme Court to get involved. We'll see it. We'll discuss it and we'll see if they do. Biden immigration, another one of the popular topics because the Biden administration wants to prevent the Texas governor from stopping illegal immigration across the uh, the border by using buoys in the river. And he wants to force the state of Texas to keep all the immigrants and not allow them to send them up to Chicago and New York city. Uh, then the bonus topics will have a, you know, bar alternative being discussed in the state of Oregon, a civil rights case against government conspiracies before the fifth circuit, uh, the Owen Schroyer case, he's facing prison time. They claim not because of his press or his speech, but if you read the sentencing memorandum, it's all about his press and his speech. And they lie about what Alex Jones did that day, by the way, on January 6th. And last but not least, what about Whataburger claiming that the anti-slap statute prevents people from suing him for premises liability? So those will be a couple of the bonus cases we'll get to at the after party at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Robert, we're, we're going to start with this because it, it's the type of um, absurdity that you would expect out of a movie like Idiocracy. Uh, this is the highlighted clip here. Listen to this. The value of the order is, is that I'm, I, it gives me three things. One, it says it's a statewide issue and it's a message to everyone to this start leveraging about the the resources gun and arresting people. I can't arrest everyone. There are literally too many people to arrest. Someone got a concealed carry permit in Albuquerque walking down a public street, they're not going to get arrested. Maybe they should be. If there's an emergency, and I've declared an emergency for a temporary amount of time, I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, 
is intended to be absolute. Do you really think that criminals are going to hear this message and not carry a gun? Do you really think that criminals are going to hear this message and not carry a gun? Albuquerque. Look at her. Look at her arms. For 30 days. Uh, no. The value. So, of Robert, I, I have. I can't say that I've ever heard of her before this. She strikes me as being the biggest uh, uh, intellectual uh, midwit um, imaginable. Uh, power hungry tyrant. I love the way she's sitting there with her arms crossed, like. And no, of course it's not going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyhow. And the use of the words I and my, it gives me power. I've, I've declared the emergency. And um, she said, no constitutional right. And my oath is absolute, which I guess is her saying, well, I know I said I would uphold the constitution, but that wasn't an absolute statement. We'll get into the Knowles thing because I'll steal man Knowles's argument. But Robert, th this is this is absolute madness. Well, I mean, I think it's why Knowles' argument is so dangerous too. Uh, I, I get there's a natural temptation to want power so that you can serve whatever cause you believe in, and in the context of the the emergency power grabs used during the COVID pandemic, we're always going to be used as a predicate to do it again. The old parable that. You allow emergencies to be the pretext to break the law. Politicians will create emergencies so they can break the law. The and that's what's happened here. And you know, you have people like Michael Knowles who look at it and think, "Wow, conservatives could use that too." Uh, it's like, yeah, that's the problem. That's why, unlike the Weimar Constitution that led to the undoing of the German uh, Weimar Republic and invited and in fact legitimized the rise of the Nazi fascist party uh, that, that led to the rise of Hitler, who, by the way, was rejected by two thirds of Germans at every single, at least two thirds of Germans in every single public poll that ever happened, uh, actual legitimate election that ever happened in Germany, commonly uh, misunderstood to say that he was popular. No, he wasn't. Otherwise, he would have had an honest election. The, he didn't, like all tyrants, like all autocrats. The uh, So the problem is what she said is commonly believed, I mean, she's a lawyer herself, is commonly believed by the political class that, that the words emergency are magical mojo words that eviscerate all oaths, all obligations, all constitutional protections. It doesn't. Our, our founding generation was intimately aware of the possibility of various kinds of emergencies, including insurrections, including, we'll talk about it later, invasions. Uh, including the uh, uh, possibilities of declaration of war, issues concerning debt, uh, issues concerning pandemics. They were, they were intimately aware of all of it. And yet you will not find in a single place, in a single part of the Constitution, a single exception for emergencies. Unlike the Weimar Constitution that did provide for that. And that, that, that big whole loophole is what gutted it. And that's why any constitutional scholar who didn't go to Ben Shapiro's school of how not to learn constitutional law at the Daily Wire knows how dangerous it is to even be contemplating such power. Well, let me steal, man, uh, Knowles and what other people's perceptions are. I think people tend to use the term emergency and uh, time of war. They use the term emergency very broadly. You have martial law where it says we're in a time of war. Uh, we can we can violate your civil rights. Uh, you have convictions under the courts of law, which not an emergency, but there are circumstances in which the violation of constitutional rights is is lawful, so to speak. So, I, you know, I have people say like, there's a tsunami. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lock people down. There's a there's a war going on or whatever. 
but I guess the argument would be that martial law um, is specifically provided for in the law and is not as broad and vague as an emergency. Hey, well, there's no provision for martial law either in the Constitution. Basically, in fact, the Constit- there's just no emergency exception, period. What there is is there's cert- if an invasion happens, there are certain things you can do. If there's an insurrection that happens, certain things you can do. Uh, if you've stated declared war, certain things you can do, but all clearly laid out in the Constitution. So it it anticipated what is colloquially called the worst form of an emergency and said, here's what, here's how you can declare that. Here's who can do it. Here's what they can do. Here's where. Very careful and deliberate. No emergency exception at all. They knew how dangerous that would be. It would eviscerate all constitutional. You don't have a constitution if you have an emergency exception. Well, and and you look at Canada, we don't even have an emergency exception. We just have a standard of a free and democratic society. These are your God-given rights, except in as much as can be limited in a free and democratic society. And we've seen how that worked out, although it was only marginally worse than what we saw in California and New York. But Robert, let me let me bring up, I say, you know, oh, where is it? You know, when David Hogg, Parkland uh, shooting survivor, disagrees with you, you've gone too far. He says, I support gun safety, but there is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. And, you know, you go into his into his timeline after that and you got a bunch of people who don't frequent his timeline saying, has hell frozen over? I agree with David Hogg versus the Michael Knowles. Um what yeah, the be- same. Yeah, you know, Congressman Ted Lieu, a Democratic yep. liberal congressman, said the same thing. The uh, it will be, and there's you know talk already in New Mexico of uh, seeking to impeach her based on her statements. Uh, several law enforcement officials have said they will not enforce it. Quite frankly, they can't. Any law enforcement official who enforces this, this is a facially unconstitutional action. Uh, in other words, on the face of it, you know there's not legal authority for it. She made that clear. She said, I'm not abiding the Constitution. She said, so well, what does that mean? It means local law enforcement can't enforce that. They can't say, well, the governor told me. doesn't matter. Now you're suable. Uh, you, you could lose your badge. Arguably, you're engaging in criminal behavior, frankly, depriving people of their civil rights. So every law enforcement official in New Mexico better follow the advice of those district attorneys and sheriffs who've said there's no chance in the world they're going to enforce this because that's their legal obligation is to not enforce an unconstitutional order. Then the legislators, are. I I don't think there's enough Republicans in the New Mexico state legislature to impeach her, but their right to at least initiate the process because this is action that can't reoccur or be repeated. And she's already been sued and a federal court is highly likely to stop her action very quickly. Well, I mean, they don't they might not need Republicans to impeach her at this point. If you have the likes of David Hogg and Ted Liu saying, yeah, she's gone too far this time. This was her her reply to Ted Liu, who said, I support gun safety laws. However, uh, the governor of New Mexico violates the U.S. Constitution. She, she went from then she pivoted from I'm not violating the U.S. Constitution because conceal and open carry are state laws that I have jurisdiction over. If you're really interested in helping, whatever. Uh, Robert, yeah, yeah. first of all, she, she but, said, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, uh, thinking that this isn't about state jurisdiction, but you know, that that's the quality of liberal lawyers, right? There's nobody saying that the state of New Mexico has no authority over its population, they're saying that that power is limited in certain instances, including in this instance, the Second Amendment rights. And she admitted she's violating Second Amendment rights. She can prohibit one form. What the what the Bruin decision said is that any limitation has to be predicated upon 
what existed. We'll talk about it. a good transition into the, actually the second case, California case. Because in California, there's criminal laws prohibiting the open carry of handguns. The Ninth Circuit, a district court, refused to enjoin it, despite the Bruin decision, by applying a balance of harms analysis that ignored how likely they were to succeed on the merits, and which was insane. But it was the, it's what a court really thinks they're doing when they do that balance of harms analysis. That's supposed to be an equitable analysis about not, hey, do I think society will be better off or not and get to play platonic uh, king as judge uh, by which is good or bad. That's not what that's supposed to mean. That's an injunction analysis that says, if I give you what you want, uh, what's the likelihood that leads to uh, a worse or better outcome if I turn out to be wrong? That that's all that is. That's what that's supposed to be. Not about is society better off or not, but of course you let judges have this kind of power. They completely misappropriated old equitable jurisdiction for their personal politics, and that's what the district court did. And he not, district court decided not to even look at the likelihood of success on the merits. So the Ninth Circuit fortunately was forced to reverse and say, well, no, you always in a constitutional case have to look at the likelihood of success on the merits because the balance of the harms always weighs in favor of a constitutional issue and a constitutional right. And what California was doing is what the New Mexico governor just declared by decree to do, which is they passed a law that said made it a crime to open carry a handgun under certain circumstances. That got challenged after Bruin because it's California's restrictions were not in place, nor do they have a historical analog to the time of the founding of the country or at the time of the adoption of the 14th Amendment in 1860 uh, after, the, after the Civil War. And the and consequently, that, that's why the judge decided not to talk about success of the merits, because he knew that they, they would win on success of the merits. Court of Appeals said, no, you have to talk about success of the merits. And for the time being, stop that criminal law from being enforced in the state of California. So uh, a big win in California. The same grounds is why the, that governor is going to lose very fast. I think Gun Owners of America or the Firearms Policy Coalition, one of them has already filed suit. Uh, it will be in court this week. The New Mexico uh, governor will lose just like the Californians lost. Um, and that will continue to be the way it should be. All right. Now, I just say that if there's anything that's ever been impeachable, there's it's that and the logic, which is I can't arrest all the criminals. That's how bad things are. Uh, they're not going to. Abide yeah, by and, this. and she admitted, oh, yeah, this isn't going to stop. I'll give credit to that journalist asking a real yep. question that's almost never asked in the gun control context. Do you really think this gun control law is going to deter criminals from getting guns or uh, using guns? No, 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 nope. <laughs> I don't care. But I'm here to take away your gun owning rights anyway. Nothing you can do about it. Emergency. The, the, the rationales, the rationales. Now the cops can really focus on the real criminals because they're not going to focus on the non criminals Preposterous, Robert. Before we go over to Rumble, everyone, come on over to Rumble. Let me just pull up a few Rumble rants here. From McAllen, Texas, I work two blocks from two large motels that asylum seekers stay at for 24 hours. Every day, six 100% buses pick them up and either take them to the airport after midnight. Just FYI. And we got 514, Pasha. How long is it going to take to someone to challenge this crazy New Mexico governor? So we covered that. She's nuts and she's nuts. And then we got, uh, why doesn't anyone like those two sycophants next to her arrest, arrest politicians that pulled this bullshit under 18 U.S.C. Section 242? We have laws on the books that are not being enforced uh, by either party. And then we got this last one. Can Abbott in Texas claim an emergency that gives him the power to enforce the U.S. immigration law and force the Biden administration to go after the New, York, the New Mexico governor? All right. So that's it. Now we're coming over to Rumble, people. The link is in the pinned comment, but just in the unlikely event that I forgot, 
I've given you the link to Locals as well, where we have the after party. Come on over. We're ending on YouTube in five, 2,942, three, four, three, two, one, and we're on Rumble exclusively. All right. Uh, now let me get back to the list. Oh, we'll do the Rumble rants in a bit. What's next on the list? The, are we doing the Georgia? Oh, no. We, we're, the medals, are we, we're going medals oh, removal. Elon Musk. Okay. Oh, oh, I have the, I have these sections up there. So Elon Musk is suing California. They, they passed this law. This law is now not in the debate stage. This is at the, we say royal assent stage. It has become law in California. Okay. And this is something that's going to govern social media companies by compelling them to basically not just answer to the government, but be, like open their books in, the, in a way that's unfathomable. I brought up the uh, document here. Uh, provide terms of service of report to the government this is the law is AB 587, requires social media companies to submit biannual terms of service reports on April and October to the Attorney General Bonta, who will then make them publicly available. The report must include, this is where it's just, it's amazing. Some aspect of this uh, legislation we've discussed before in terms of like, show us your algorithms so we can decide if you're censoring based on political viewpoint. This goes a little bit further in the opposite direction. A statement of whether, and if so, how the platform's terms of service define hate speech, racism, extremism, radicalization, all very easy to define terms. The current version of the terms of service and a, quote, complete and detailed description of any changes to the terms of service. A, quote, detailed description, end quote, of the platform's, quote, content moderation policies. This is one I don't think I necessarily have a disagreement with, but including any existing policies intended to address the categories of content described, and I guess that's hate, extremism, whatever. How automated content moderation systems enforce the platform's terms of service when these systems involve human review? And it goes on. Information regarding content that was flagged by the social... This is... As, when I read this, Robert, it, to me it reads like nationalizing social media platforms, but uh, 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 in disguise, disguised nationalization. Although, like we've discussed, you know, knowing how they're censoring, deplatforming, sanctioning is useful, um, but this seems to go a little bit further. Elon Musk is suing, uh, what is it, First Amendment violations for compelled speech, a number of other things. Robert, what's your take on the lawsuit? And does it succeed in commie California? Yeah, filed in federal district court, Eastern District of California, Sacramento Division. Uh, I presume they filed there because that's where the attorney general is. Also, probably to avoid the San Francisco district, which is a little more problematic and has been very big tech friendly. Though they use a lot of the Ninth Circuit's and Fed Northern District of California's big tech friendly cases against them in this context. So what their fundamental claim is that the reason the state of California is compelling this speech saying producer report, provide these terms, is that they're trying to force social media to identify their own opinions. Tell us what you think misinformation is. Tell us what you think disinformation is. Tell us what you think hatred is. Tell us what you think racism is. So on and so forth. So it's beyond just, hey, put out this disclaimer. It's tell us what you think. Give us your opinions. And give us your opinions in the form of a report about how you enforce those opinions on your staff. So it's not just requiring them to do something they're already doing, because that'd be a different dynamic. The Texas law, for example, that was challenged, that was meant to protect free speech, simply asked them to, to tell people what they were up to, be transparent. That isn't what this is. This is asking them to do something they're not already doing. 
demanding they do it instead and demanding they tell them what their opinion is, the process. And because they use the public statements surrounding the bill to point out that it's an intent to intimidate them into adopting speech codes while pretending it's not. And it uh, compelled speech involves the First Amendment is a right to speak, a right to listen, and a right to refrain or restrain from speaking, a right not to speak. And so when the government compels speech or coerces speech, that uh, has to meet First Amendment standards because it naturally violates for your First Amendment freedoms unless they can show that it meets a, it's a compelling means to meet a narrowly uh, tested, uh, a narrowly uh, defined means to meet a compelling interest. And so in this capacity, they point out that first it's compelled speech because it's forcing them to speak when they otherwise would not and they had no intention. They don't do this normally, so they're asking them to disclose something they don't do. They don't define misinformation or disinformation. They don't define racism. They don't define hate speech. They're not doing any of those things. So they don't want to be forced to do those things. Uh, the uh, second, they note the intent to intimidate. And a third, they noted the it would have a chilling effect on both speakers and listeners. Because it would uh, if people knew they would become part of this reporting process, part of this publishing of their uh, any disciplinary action taken against them, it would likely lead to people being less uh, uh, honest and transparent themselves in, in their public statements. So it would have a chilling ex- effect on everybody else's speech. Uh, so it's not just compelled speech on them. It's a chilling effect on other people's speech. And then last but not least, it says it invades their right of editorial privilege, uh, which is that they, and they, here they made a very good analog. They said, imagine the same law, but it's applied to the editor of The New York Times. And what that would be. Could you tell the editor of the New York Times, hey, tell us when you publish letters to the editor. Tell us when you don't. Tell us why you do. Tell us why you don't. Tell us what standards you have. Tell, you know, uh, disclose some of those underlying letters to the editor you chose not to publish. Uh, That that most courts would go nuts. And that in a a range of cases along that have made statements along those lines, including U.S. Supreme Court cases. And they very wisely use the Ninth Circuit and and, uh, put them on their own petard. In the Ninth Circuit, it has been so eager to excuse big tech censorship that they've gone on and on about how big tech has a right to speak and big tech is like a newspaper editor and big tech can't you can't invade or intervene in the in big tech's uh, censorship decisions because that's that's their censorial right and editorial privilege and First Amendment protected right. Well, what happens when the state's invading it uh, because they want to censor speech? We'll see if those courts have any consistency or not. But if they do, Elon Musk and X should prevail in the case. So here, th- this is the, the, the introductory paragraph that summarizes it, but it says uh, it violates First Amendment of the United States, Article 1, Section 2, yada, yada, because it compels companies like X to engage in speech against their will, impermissibly interferes with constitutionally protected editorial judgments of companies such as X. But Robert, I'm reading this. Um, and I was thinking, is that not a double-edged sword of an argument? Because if they're invoking so-called editorial freedom, are they not in, 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 in effect uh, abandoning Section 230 immunity where they're admitting to exercising editorial? Oh, uh, no, because the, the court has ruled that that's what Section 230 gives them is editorial immunity. I mean, I get that uh, a lot of criticism of Section 230 was that it wasn't intended to be that, that it was intended to remove that, but courts have interpreted exactly the opposite. Okay. They've interpreted Section 230 as protecting editorial freedom. 
All right, that's interesting. And um, flip side, if this is upheld in the event that this is upheld, I mean, is it? Are we going to see like a, a Meta Google in Canada version in California, where Elon's going to say, "Good, I'm blocking Twitter in California, and I won't. We, it will not be offered in California." Yeah, I mean that that's always a possibility. I mean, this applies to all the social media platforms. So the uh, so it, you know the it, anybody concerned with it can sue. I, I assume Rumble is probably going to be bringing suit itself on these grounds. Rumble already won a comparable suit in New York uh, on comparable is comparable issues. So I mean, they he must could really win. They were too blunt. They were they're requiring things they didn't already produce. Those are the two biggest mistakes. If all they were requiring was something they already had, then you could argue it's just transparency, not compelled speech. But it's not something they already have. And if they and they can't help themselves because that transitions into our next case. Uh, because the Biden administration couldn't help itself. The CDC couldn't help itself. The FDA couldn't help itself. The FBI couldn't help themselves. A federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously affirmed a uh, the biggest injunction against government collusion and coercion of big tech censorship that has occurred in American history, as the court itself noted. A huge, huge win for free speech in the big tech space. This was the appeal of the Missouri Missouri v. Biden decision. Yep. yep. Okay. Missouri and Louisiana versus Biden. And the court affirmed the critical components. The only components it didn't affirm were things that went beyond what a court normally could go beyond what the factual record supported and what legally could be precluded. And that was just smart on the, on the court's basis. Uh, but the, it precluded all the pros problematic behavior from the most problematic actors. This is just procedurally, uh, uh, getting us back into what is it called? Procedural posture or procedural context. This was the appeal. They had the injunction. The injunction said, uh, stop interfering. You are, you are, uh, enjoined from interfering. That was overturned or that was paused at one point. It was is, just paused. And this is ratifying in the good sense. This is reaffirming yeah. that injunction, which is an injunction pending final adjudication of Missouri's claim in well, broadly speaking. And, and, and the in injunction is enforced immediately. So the, uh, the, the effectively what it said is that the Biden administration, the Biden White House, the CDC and the FBI, to quote from him, quote, we are rarely faced with a coordinated campaign of this magnitude orchestrated by federal officials that jeopardized a fundamental aspect of American life. It's an extraordinary finding. If Congress had any courage whatsoever, still an open question of the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives, Impeach. they would just take this case as the grounds, here's a federal court judicially found after discovery, after a full evidentiary record was permitted and allowed for, after both sides were allowed to present their side of the story and concluded extraordinary, frankly, criminal behavior, violating the constitutional rights and liberties of tens and millions, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people around the world, but tens of millions of Americans that deprived them that, again, orchestrated a coordinated campaign jeopardized fundamental aspect of American life. Christopher Ray should be indicted tomorrow. The FBI officers involved should be uh, impeached that we should have impeachment of attorney general Garland. We should have impeachment of the heads of the, the people at the CDC. And of course, impeachment of uh, president Biden, because this was coordinated at the top by the white house. 
And that was their point was they, they, they emphasize when does the action of a private entity become a state action? And I remember a lot of the so-called big tech apologists and so-called libertarians who are saying none of this could ever be actionable. You can never prevail. Credit to Robert Kennedy. Credit to Jed uh, uh, Rudenfeld, Rubenfeld. I always get his name mispronounced. But the Yale, the Yale professor. Uh, uh, several of these people have been brainstorming and pushing these ideas for a decade. Uh, and they were very aggressively dismissed by the smart people in the room, the technological legal blogger experts, all that crowd, the law Twitter crowd. Um, and they turned out to be as dead wrong as they usually are on matters of law. And the because the key was, was there substantial encouragement or coercion by the state? Once that happens, it's no longer a private actor. If the private actor did it because of the state, to where you could say it's indistinguishable from the government doing it, then it's still a state action, even though it's a private person who supposedly made the decision because the decision was coerced or created or really the authored by the state. And the state can't use a private actor to do what the state can't do. And thus, this insubstantial encouragement is about the degree of entanglement in the decision-making process to where it's indistinguishable. The core thing you come to is if there had been no state action of any kind, would this private party have done the same thing? And here, the problem they had, which was the evidentiary record was very well detailed. I mean, it's very well litigated, very well presented by the judge by allowing this discovery to occur in the first instance and well documented by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, is that, you know, they, that they said, look, if you look at these decisions, one, they weren't making these decisions before the state started to get involved. Second, they made decisions that directly contradicted their own rules and procedures. Third, they, they, these decisions that after the state asked for a decision is the chronology about when the decision happens. Uh, that it, it was clear they said the platforms completely complied and com they use language like co completely capitulated. Mm -hmm. They're like, they just did. Like, these clearly were not acting independently. These were state actors. They were doing, and, and they wasn't just degree of entanglement such that it met the substantial encouragement prong. It also met the independent separate coercion prong because they kept saying, if you don't do it, we're going to do bad things to you. Uh, and they were open about this. The Biden administration couldn't keep their mouth shut about this. And some of the other agencies that are not listed, including the injunction, it's because those agencies weren't directing them on a daily basis and never threatened them. That's why the, the other agencies were smart enough to realize they could piggyback off of these other corrupt actors without doing it themselves and thus getting themselves in less trouble. But it precludes it, it, the, the nature of the findings are extraordinary. And the injunction is that the Biden, the entire Biden White House, the entire CDC and the entire FBI can, quote, take no action, even if that action is indirect, even if that action is informal, that in any way coerces or encourages social media to remove, delete, suppress, reduce any set of content. Their censorship effort is dead. And if they're smart, they won't try to appeal this to the Supreme Court because then they'll just get doubly smacked down. Uh, so the Biden, the Biden White House got caught. The CDC got caught. The FBI got caught. This is a great legal precedent for other comparable cases, but it's a massive, massive victory uh, against state censorship interlocutory injunction until the permanent they're going to hear this on the merits it's conceivable on the merits i don't know a judge comes to a wildly different conclusion and says it's the um, same judge who issued a broader uh injunction <laughs> in the first place so oh, not well, like okay that's that's um 
what was the other question I had about this? No, I was gonna, I was gonna uh, elaborate or add to the, you know, capitulating would be one thing, but it, it was beyond capitulation. It was overt infiltration above and beyond yeah. the coercion. It was like- They were changing their rules, directing them to take action, to, uh, complaining if they didn't take action and threatening them when they didn't take action. Backdoor and channels. more than half the time they did whatever was requested. Backdoor channels. Jen Psaki said it at the time uh, during the press conferences. You know, we go in back, well, you know, flag some you stuff. Know. Buttigieg knows a lot about uh, that kind of thing. Robert, I'm gonna I'm gonna go read the chats and just <laughs> move. We're gonna skip that joke. For, okay, here, hold on. Let me let me bring up some Rumble Red. <laughs> okay, uh, Andrea Tukulescu says uh, you sound like Stewie. Britt Corman says Viva. I'm not saying I was trying to do it. However, Viva was not not trying to get blocked. Oh, hold on. The just, technological leap. Put, put, put on pause there. Um, it's Sunday. Be balanced and light while being serious. You can have humor within awfulness, a.k.a. dark humor. Sunshine and rainbows do still exist despite the swamp. That's Kenzie 67. I to the C to the E. Look at this guy flipping off Trump. In other news, let's go Brandon literally means cheering for Brandon. Dapper Dave 2021. I agree with Mike Davis. Governor Grisham's order was a dry run by the deep state to see how the majority of Americans would conform to public safety decrees. That dude, they, they've been doing, they showed the way they were gonna do that during COVID. This was just like over the top stupid. Aina V says, Biden going to Alaska on September 11th. Why isn't he going to New York? We're gonna get into New York in a bit. Have you seen the fresh hell the UK government is putting through parliament? Look up energy bill HL, which will allow police to enter homes, fit smart meters and devices they can control remotely or prison. That's from V6 Neon. G Jobin, just because I like you both from a fellow Quebecer. That's a Jobin, thank you very much. Oski Wee Wee, hands off our kids, number one million march for children. Jack Flack, I consider the two-way private security for the poor and Second Amendment private security for the poor and working class. Did the New Mexico governor give up her armed private security in this decree? Guaranteed not. Pinochet Helicopter Tourist says, how soon before we get our own Reichstag fire decree, effectively abolishing the Constitution, the definition of war, absence of law, Randy Edwards, 491. Does Barnes still think Dan Bongino is a deep state actor? Deep question. Uh, deep state I never, actor. I never question. said that. No, I think we all love, we love Bongino. Uh, I won't speak for Barnes. I love Bongino and I think Barnes does as well and respects him. Leverett Sr. I live in Albuquerque and I carry almost always openly whenever I go further than my mailbox. I will not comply. Lord Dog, need a Trump spaghetti Western mugshot with guns and wanted for president. Dapper Dave, interesting that media is not filing a joinder to be part of Elon's lawsuit. That's actually that's an interesting point. Robert, I forgot to ask you, uh, the book behind you, uh, Oh yeah, so the one that's Carrie Lake's uh, biography, and that's "Win Your Case" by Jerry Spence, a great uh, practical guide from one of the great American trial lawyers about how to argue in any context. Now I know that my list that I have is not the list that we're going in. So what's next on our menu? Ah, so speaking of California, we just can't <laughs> get away from it. The uh, disbarment trial of Professor John Eastman continued this week. Okay, so I, I've been keeping up with this because I've been seeing like tweets that John Eastman is destroying the, I don't know what exactly, this is like an administrative tribunal or is this in front of a judge? Um, okay, yeah, real clarity. Fake judge, fake judge. She's not a real judge. Uh, I have always had problems with this. These so-called hearing examiners, these administrative, legislatively appointed people who are not constitutionally appointed judges, calling themselves judge, being demanded to be called judge, being labeled that in the press, just confuses ordinary people. 
this uh, uh, you know corporate neoliberal left-wing democratic hack who's presiding the, over these proceedings as a judge is really a hearing examiner who, because I, I've had problems with, I, I don't agree with licensure, period, but California has its own horrendous mechanisms of state bars. The same state bar that corruptly protected Tom, Tom Girardi, that corruptly protected Michael Avenatti, is, that corruptly protected other lawyers that I, uh, my clients have, have disclosed extraordinary uh, illegal actions by, while at the same time uh, going after Professor John Eastman, who no client has ever complained about, who no court has ever criticized in American legal history. So it, uh, the and the person presiding over it is this political partisan hack, a former corporate whore lawyer, uh, who's a who is a left wing political partisan hack appointed by the Speaker of the House, I believe. It's like how does this happen? How do we get these hearing examiners that don't go through any process? They're just appointed by some political hack. That's uh, unbelievable. The uh, uh, but so and her and she's been a complete joke. So these disbarment trials, they should be held in front of a jury, in my view, because they involve property and liberty with due process of law. But the courts, of course, ignore that because they like having mon a monopolized control over it so they can cover up for their own corruption and cowardice, which is what took place in the 2020 election. This uh, this joke of a so-called judge, this a hearing examiner, uh, has been so one-sided that everybody watching it can't understand how in the world that th this is what America's legal process looks like, like this. Stasi Stowe tri show trials had more honor and more balance than this nut job in the California bar proceedings, pretending and feigning to be judge so-and-so. The uh, So that's my comment on that aspect of the matter. So the um, and John Eastman, uh, for those who don't know, I mean, I, I'm reading, I'm trying to catch up, but I'm not watching this live, although it's being broadcast live. This is like, a, what, is this a four or six week hearing? Yeah, it keeps going on and on and on. They keep extending it and, and dra dragging it out. Won't let him present his side. Let's the state present arguments that have nothing to do with him. Cases that have nothing to do with him. Factual issues that have nothing to do with him. I mean, uh, misinterpret the law repeatedly. And it was all the things they accuse him of doing, the state bar prosecutors and this so-called judge are themselves doing. If the if this was actually a standard for disbarment, this judge should be disbarred and the California state bar prosecutors should be disbarred. And we shouldn't even have a state bar of California. The Supreme Court of California has done a horrendous job putting in these political hacks, compromising with the Speaker of the House to further partisan uh, make up this case. If you're a Democrat, you can be as corrupt as Tom Girardi or as corrupt as Michael Avenatti, and the state bar will cover up for you. If you're someone who raises questions they don't like, then they can actually try to disbar you, even though there's been no finding of unethical behavior by anybody, anywhere, any place, anytime, as is the case of John Eastman. What is the basis of the uh, motion for disbarment against John Eastman? It's, it's, it's legal advice? It's solely that he supported the president's election challenge. That's it. I'm gonna, I'm Supposedly, gonna, gonna solely that he was the president's counsel. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's utterly inane and insane. So Rachel Alexander, who we interviewed, who's the Arizona lawyer who went through all the craziness in Arizona when she was a state prosecutor trying to do the right thing, has, has been following this case in detail. Mike Cernovich has followed the case as well. And you know, Cernovich noted 
that he went from being someone who thought the 2020 election was probably mostly on the up and up to now saying it was purely stolen based on the of what's the testimony that's come out in the Eastman case. Well, so, now this is like you're having trials within trials. They're trying to disbar Eastman based on the fact that he supported the idea that uh, chicanery was afoot. I mean, I'm going to bring up one aspect. This is the Wisconsin part. Let me zoom in a little bit so we can read this. Um, Miller asked Gableman, this is one of the witnesses. I, I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna... Yeah, remember, Gableman is a former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice who was the appointed investigator by the state legislature in Wisconsin. And he went and talked and did a thorough, complete, comprehensive investigation. And the state legislature, the political hacks at the hierarchy in Wisconsin who are connected to Paul Ryan, were so were shocked that they, they thought, hey, we'll appoint this judge. He's got an impeccable reputation. He'll see that there was nothing wrong in the election. He'll shut up all these lame Trumpers telling us that we had a bad election in 2020. Instead, he comes back and says, oh, you know what? It's 10 times worse than everybody thought. And they're like, uh, uh, wait, uh, put that report down. Never mind. Let's not go any further. So they've tried to pretend he doesn't exist ever since. But this is one of the most well-respected former Supreme Court justices of Wisconsin. That's who Gableman is. So, and he, what he said, I just, I was trying to highlight like the easy to digest ones. Uh, Wisconsin elections ignored law requiring bipartisan observers when collecting votes from nursing homes and other assisted living facilities. And so the sheriff referred the election officials for criminal charges. Gableman said those officials said it during a meeting that was videotaped that they knew they were breaking the law by telling the clerks to disregard the law and just mail the ballots to nursing home residents. Then he got, then they discussed Zuckbucks. Uh, this one's a little more complicated, but this was Zuckerberg uh, financing what sort of like election supervision, but it was highly partisan election supervision and employees who had, um, uh, let me see here. Zuckerberg's organization provided five of Wisconsin's largest cities ostensibly to deal with voting during COVID-19. Uh, $8.8 million to the cities, which Gableman said he refused to refer as grants because he believed they were really employment contracts. Zuckerberg, who, you know, was very open about um, his, his partisan leanings. And what was the other part here that I thought was also relevant? In both Pennsylvania and Georgia, he said bipartisan teams of observers were prohibited from going into nursing homes, which led to massive turnout from those nursing homes and fraud found there. Robert, um, I mean, though. which is the one? Where, sorry, I don't even know where to ask my question here, but where's the one it was in? It was in uh, Georgia where they did not hear the case within the, the, the useful time and they, they deferred it until January 7th. Just remind everybody what happened there. Yeah, and, and Eastman, and to his credit, Eastman is fully aware of all these things. So he's been explaining all the history, all the legal differences, all the different scholarly analysis, all the different factual issues. He knew about Antrim County, Michigan, and the, the issues there of the flipping machines. And he's like, yeah, maybe it was, maybe they fixed it. Uh, like Garrett Archer from Arizona claimed, but he goes, maybe they didn't. We weren't allowed to audit the machine, so we never found out. The, he goes, in all these processes, we weren't allowed to follow up with the evidentiary mechanisms you need to figure out what really happened rather than just take the government's word for it. And I put in the weekend Barnes brief uh, the detail of how the election, the 2020 election, was not a constitutionally conforming election. And these were the core allegations in the Georgia election contest that the courts ran and hid from. And what's interesting is 
it's quite clear by the response of the California State Bar and their uh, per and really the California State Bar employee, the so-called impartial judge, who's really just a hack for the State Bar, uh, is that they're actually shocked by a lot of this. So they they start trying to exclude evidence. They try to claim that a Supreme Court justice who did investigations not an expert. <laughs> While they bring in a fake expert who knew nothing about election law to testify, wasn't even properly licensed in California while giving legal advice in California. This is the state bar. Can you imagine the state bar that prosecutes people for unauthorized practice of law has as one of its lead experts someone who's unauthorized to practice law? <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. But the uh, the issue that I laid out uh, in written format, for those that are interested at, in the Barnes brief, uh, I'll put in verbal format now. Three questions. Were there only constitutionally qualified people who voted? Were there only constitutionally qualified ballots that were cast? And was there only constitutionally qualified counting and canvassing of those ballots that ended up in the certification of who actually is the proper elector before the Congress on January 6th, 2023? And the points that Eastman makes uh, is the same points I made, the same points that are in that Georgia election contest. In Category 1 in Georgia, Arizona, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, those five states, though, all you need is three of those five states to uh, be in doubt for the Electoral College majority to then be in doubt. When And, and then it's supposed to go to Congress to vote by House in the House by state delegation. So each state gets its own vote. They didn't want that to happen because they knew they would lose because Trump had an edge there. Uh, Republicans in the House didn't want it to happen because they didn't want to screw Trump publicly in ways that would end their political career by putting his fraudulency the second Joe Biden in the White House. So they went to great lengths to hide from this. Supreme Court went to great lengths to avoid it. Uh, every other federal court, as Eastman has been has been testifying to, evaded any uh, merits finding. You know, despite what some people have said, there have been very few cases that had any merits findings and none of them on these issues. First category, did only constitutionally qualified people cast ballots? Dead people can't vote. Certain felons in certain states can't vote. Certain uh, people under the age of 18 can't vote. People who in Georgia, for example, who had moved from their residence of registration can't vote. People who voted in another state can't vote. That category by itself, all you needed was enough to be different than to be more questionable people who cast ballots than the margin of victory. The standard is not fraud. The standard is not widespread fraud like the media tried to pretend. The standard is, are there more vote, votes in doubt that were included in the certification in terms of the Constitution than was the margin of victory in that state? And what defines the constitutional rules is the Constitution gives that power to the legislature of each state exclusively. So you look at what rules were passed by the legislature. There is a limited role for the executive in the court branch that to the degree the legislature's rules violate other constitutional provisions, the First Amendment through the 14th Amendment, uh, then you can uh, limit what the legislature's rules can be. That's what the Supreme Court effectively concluded last year in deciding the North Carolina case. That was not decided at the time of 2020. There was a good argument that only the state's election legislation's rules applied, which ironically, if you listen, we'll get into the Meadows case in a bit, you'd think somehow that was still the case. And from a liberal Obama judge talking about states' rights uh, is deeply ironic at multiple levels, uh, but especially as will be relevant later on in the immigration cases. But so just that category. Whether certain people were constitutionally qualified to vote, 
there were more people that were not constitutionally qualified to vote whose ballots were counted than the margin of victory in Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, including, as just Georgia's example, dead people. Thousands of dead people voted. How do we know? We proved it with obituaries before their vote was sent back in. Now, if we move to the second category where the ballots cast in a constitutionally qualified manner, there the key is who, how did they get the ballot? Was it printed in the according to the state legislature's rules? Was it sent to them or given to them according to the rules? Was it returned to them in those, according to the rules? Was it verified and validated with identification according to the rules? At each of the states, that didn't happen in all these states, but particularly as an example in Georgia. But what the uh, former Supreme Court justice was pointing out, it didn't happen in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania either. So you had circumstances where what's supposed to happen is ner- like nursing home residents in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. They're supposed to say, I'm indefinitely confined. I can't make it to the polling booth. Please send me a ballot. But they have to request it. They have to validate, verify that it's them. And they have to do something in identification, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, by signatures that match the voter signature on your registration card. As an Arizona court just ruled this week, that means only that signature, not any other signature. Just on just on the Georgia dead people, because I mean, I remember seeing the, the the fact checks to claim alleged dead voter alleged dead Georgia voters found alive and well after 2020 election. Robert, some the, the, I I know people say that it's not true. Only four uh, dead. Well, they say four here. Uh, where is where can I find the confirm? Where is the confirmation? So the key is that we put in the names of all of those people in the Georgia election contest. Before the names went in there, we had reviewed them with, got independent confirmation, and asked uh, the Georgia election officials to refute it. They couldn't. So what would happen is, you know, a month or two later, they would cherry pick two or three cases and say, oh, look, we found where th- this person actually does match up to another, like in Michigan, for example. They said, oh, really, it was the son who was accidentally listed as voting in the father. So there, again, no question that they listed a dead person as voting. They just claim they misidentified the person who voted, which by itself, by the way, raises questions about the validity of that vote. And so that was just category one. Category two was that that the ballots were not public, not printed in, in a way that maintained chain of custody. Uh, number two, the ballots were sent to people in ways that were that were people didn't even request them. Or the party observers were not present at the time of their request. The, part, the ballots were filled out and sent back, where in the case of Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, party observers supposed to be present, make sure it's all kosher. Didn't happen. And then, and people who were actually not indefinitely confined were listed as it illegally and illicitly in Wisconsin, as again, the Wisconsin Supreme Court itself mm-hmm. would acknowledge uh, a few years after 2020. That, and that was because they listed as it, it confined everybody because of COVID, which that wasn't the legal criteria. And therefore, all of those bats are all of those ballots are constitutionally questionable. Exactly. And then in Arizona, Pennsylvania and Georgia, they're supposed to verify that that's the person who filled out the ballot by matching the signature like in Arizona against the voter signature on the registration card. In Arizona, they admitted in their own manual they weren't doing that. And the Arizona court just ruled last week that's illegal. You can't that the law requires you match it against the signature from the registration card. You can't hear what they're doing. They're saying if you fake the signature the first time when you requested the ballot and they use the same fake signature, we can compare those two and you're good to go. That's how they're letting systemic fraud take place. And again, nursing homes, as the Wisconsin Supreme Court justice testified to under oath in the California John Eastman proceedings, 
is uh, is that the there was unusual turnout in these nursing homes and assisted living facilities. And I saw that independently myself when we looked at it in Georgia, meaning that there, but people were filling out ballots for other people and sending it back. And, and there was no bipartisan review. And lo and behold, from these these institutions or facilities where there was no bipartisan review, massive turnout. I mean, we, we yep. talked about and this overwhelmingly time. unusual Democratic voting behavior, particularly for Joe Biden. Then the last part of the whole process is to make sure the canvassing and the counting take place. Again, these are internationally recognized election standards, recognized by the Election Standards Commission here in the United States, formed by Congress, recognized by OECD in Europe, recognized by us in the State Department, imposed on foreign governments around the world for the last quarter century. And these include that when the canvassing takes place, third-party observers have to be there to make sure that ballot envelope has that signature match, that you do the signature match before you remove the ballot from the ballot envelope. And that when you then count the ballots, you don't have anybody substituting ballots, right? You don't have any miscounting going on. You have somebody there to overlook it. This is what famously happened in Georgia where a pipe leaks and everybody home. And then all of a sudden ballots are being secretly counted without anybody knowing. Uh, and the And this happened systematically when there was unusual stopping of ballots and an unusual number of ballots showing up beyond what was, what everybody, including the Biden administration and the media observers thought was going to take place, you know, usually with big mail drops and so forth. You want to avoid all that and make sure it's all the up and up so that you see every part of that chain of custody of that ballot with independent party observers so nobody can substitute in, right? They, can, they can't take 50 ballots over here, take out 50 ballots, put them there, right? Uh, and, and one way that might show up, is the transparency that's supposed to be required that the state of Georgia, uh, Secretary of State Ratberger, and that fraud of a governor, Kemp, promised the whole world when they were doing that sweetheart deal with Dominion, which, by the way, some of their people lined their pockets with, as I was told in Georgia by Doug Collins and others at the time in 2020. He said that's why the governor's so nervous about it. That's why the Secretary of State's so nervous about it, is, uh, the, is that they were going to publish those ballots to the whole world so everybody could see them. Uh, when we did the recount, they wouldn't allow people within a close proximity to look at the ballots. The few people who were able to get anywhere near noticed unusual natures of those ballots, the kind of ballots that look like somebody subbed them out for real ballots. And those ballots that are perfectly crisp, ballots, some ballots that only had Biden marked on it, ballots that looked like they weren't marked with a real pen but by a computer. Uh, that's the nature of things aside from all the issues that are raised in the 2000 and Mules film that Dinesh D'Souza is showing mm -hmm. live. Uh, the rest of the day for free on Twitter at Dinesh D'Souza's Twitter account. You can review that film for those aspects. But those were the three aspects of the election that were not conforming to the Constitution because they violated the rules set by the legislature of each state uh, and, and raised uh, constitutional questions about whether we had a constitutionally conforming election in the states of Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and Nevada in excess of the margin of victory in each of those states. Uh, and it should have gone to the House. They should have voted by state delegation. They didn't because they ran and hid and cowered as cowards do, uh, like the, unfortunately, the Supreme Court did, like most courts did, like the Fulton County Superior Court did, like the Georgia Court of Appeals did, like the Georgia Supreme Court did, et cetera. And that's what Professor John Eastman has ably and adequately displayed throughout the proceedings in his joke of a disbarment trial. But Robert, uh, here's what's going to happen, and I'll, I'll be able to look smart 
if and when this ever comes to fruition, the administrative tribunal judge, whoever she is, whoever he is, is going to say, look, I'm oh, not... she'll rule against him all across the she, board. She'll lie throughout the proceedings. Well, she's going to say, I'm, I'm not here to re I'm not here to relitigate what is widely known as. Oh, she been... will, though. She will, though. She wants a ruling that says Eastman should be in prison. Eastman was terrible. Eastman was awful. All of this was election fraud. She'll ignore everything he said. Oh no, 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 no. What I mean to say, she's gonna say she's gonna say everything that Eastman has said. By the way, he sounds something like an idiot savant based on the way he's apparently able to recall information in real time to the point where he can, you know, get cross-examine the the cross-examiner. But the, the, the administrative tribunal judge is gonna say, I'm not hearing uh, election challenges the courts had those they were all done away with therefore what you're saying now is all disproven misinformation questioning democracy undermining democracy and she's going to disbar him uh, and as smart oh, yeah, as he of is course, of course. then i'll go up to the california supreme court and then i'll have constitutional challenges after that that the this is another example where the system is on trial and the system will fail again and and hopefully more and more people will recognize why we should not give the authority to the state to license people in the first place, that your profession or occupation should be free and your right to pursue it up to you. And the only limitation should be the public's willingness to use it. Uh, we shouldn't have monopolies through licensing in the first place, and we shouldn't give uh, anybody power over your ability to, to do your occupation and profession upon which other people rely for access to legal representation. I think your right to petition the government in particular uh, invalidates all these licensure requirements as to the law, legal profession. The problem is the people that would be most concerned with it are the same corrupt political professional managerial class that governs all the decision-making authority branches, including the legislature, the executive bureaucracy, and the judiciary. So they have no interest in saying that there shouldn't be special rules for them special rules that enrich them, special rules that empower them. It's a flaw in our system of governance, sadly, uh, that has been badly exploited and has now been exposed for the world to witness. But it's only one of them because that the, we had two other embarrassing to the rule of law trials this week. And the other one was the Ken Pack or one of the other ones was the attorney general in Texas. So attorney general in Texas, Ken Paxson being impeached, um, being impeached, I still don't really fully understand what the allegations of the impeachment are. I understand in broad strokes, he's a, a accused of having taken bribes from a well-connected uh, millionaire for the political purposes in 2020. Uh, then when some of his employees were looking into it and said we should, we should you know, go after Paxton criminally or whatever, he then fires, I think that's it, he fires the whistleblowers and then they end up settling their lawsuit for the you know for a payment of three point some odd million dollars, which already looks bad for Paxton, and you're gonna have to tell me why this doesn't look as bad as it looks. And then Paxton says the taxpayers should pay that, and they say no. If the taxpayers pay that, that's some sort of fraud, and it should be you. But I'm not sure that I understand what he's being impeached for, and if I've misunderstood something of that timeline, Robert, what, and why this is only coming out. I don't know what are we 2023 when this is alleged to have occurred in 2020. Well, large portions of it have already come out before, and the voters knew about it and reelected Paxton in 2022. So, uh, I mean, the short answer is there was no bribery. Uh, you know, Paxton has been a target of the Bush Republican establishment in Texas going way back. Uh, the Bush political establishment is very strong in Texas, despite the fact there's no Bush elected anymore in Texas. Poppy Bush uh, pretended to be a Texan when he moved from Connecticut. Uh, you know, he partially got away with it. 
Kevin Phillips made fun of him, called him Poppy the Populist, talking about how absurd that was with his, you know, middle America experience and just traveling across America. He wasn't the pedigree. He wasn't the scion of some wealthy, rich, powerful, old money, warmongering, war whoring family from the Northeast. No, of course not. He was just an oil catter from Texas, a uh, wild catter from Texas. The uh, And then W really, uh, a, you know, aced it by growing up in Texas and pretending to be like a Texas Ranger and a good old boy, and he could wear a cowboy hat. And he wouldn't know an oil cat to save his – he couldn't be a wildcatter to save his life. I mean, it was – he, he did try a little bit at the oil business, but the legitimate part, he failed at like everything else a Bush does. Um, but, they, but their friends and allies fill the Texas Supreme Court, fill the Texas Appeals Courts, feel – fill the higher ranks of Texas bureaucracy, still fill large parts of the Texas legislature. So they have, and they're used to running the state lock, stock and barrel. And on along comes Ken Paxton, uh, gets elected attorney general of the state, becomes a strong populist advocate, allies himself with Trump. Uh, he he took, the, t- took the lead in the 2020 election, challenging what took place up to the United States Supreme Court took the lead on a range of censorship and social media issues, took the lead on trans treatment and other issues, took the lead on immigration issues, took the lead on Obamacare issues. These were issues the Bush, uh, the Bushites in Texas were deeply dissatisfied with, but couldn't tell anybody in Texas they were. Not to mention all the way they're deeply embedded within old oil money in Texas. Old oil money goes all the way back to, you might say, the assassination of a Kennedy. Uh, that's who these people are. And so they, they've been coming after Paxton in waves. First, they tried to set him up on bogus federal, and all related to there's a, a buddy of his, there was a donor and a supporter, but it's more significant that it was a friend of his. Uh, a friend of his gets targeted by the feds. He goes to Paxton and says, the, the, he goes, these federal agents are just, they're making stuff up. They're lying in affidavits. They're expanding they, it illicitly. They never do that. Robert, they're they post changing it. He goes, they file one affidavit and then they change it later and they make it pretend they did a different affidavit later, uh, earlier than they really did, just so they could do a bogus execution of a warrant. He goes, I mean, aren't you the attorney general of Texas? Can't, you know, are you going to investigate this violation of law in Texas or not? So Paxton says, okay, I'll take a look at it. He assigns a Texas Ranger to it, assigns other attorneys to investigate. The Texas Ranger is, you know, a good old boy. You know, he knows how to get up there and BS with a bunch of them. He's like a lot of your Texas Rangers, fakes, phonies, and frauds, in my experience. I'm not a big fan of the Texas Rangers I've met in my life. I'm sure there's plenty of good, decent ones. I'm sure a few are watching. But most of my experience with Texas Rangers has been negative. They tend to be the, what they were born to be, which was a lot. If you go dig into the history of what Texas Rangers were really about and from their founding days. But the, uh, this, this guy fits right into that tradition. He pretends he's helping investigate the Paxton while secretly undermining the case. He's like, I'm not going to help this guy. The good FBI is investigating. This dimwit testifies he couldn't imagine anything being wrong with the good FBI, just like he couldn't imagine anything being wrong with the good Texas Rangers. Uh, and so he undermined, he has no grounds to it. He just speculates there could there must be something wrong as to why we're investigating the mighty holy FBI. Uh, and the two other attorneys are the same way. They accuse him, they accuse the attorney general of taking a bribe. There was never, he never took a bribe. There's no evidence of it all. All you have is a guy openly, publicly, and transparently 
investigating alleged illegal behavior by the federal government on a Texan, period, end of story. The guy happened to be a friend, so he got access to the attorney general, but there's no illegal nature of that. And so they, uh, these so-called, and so these two guys try to stage a coup and he's like, screw that, you're gone, I'm going to hire somebody else. They get free legal representation from year for years from, uh, oh, shock, shock, key Bush family allies. What a, what a total shock that is. The, uh, and these frauds of so-called fake whistleblowers file suit in Austin, where we know from the Alex Jones case how much justice you can get in Austin. So Ken Pax's lawyers tell him, just settle, pay it off, move on down the road. And Pax is like, this is ridiculous. The whole thing is ludicrous. Uh, but in the state of Texas should have to pay for this nonsense because they're the key Texas state Pete participants, including Lieutenant Governor, are neck deep in all this nonsense. Uh, Dan Patrick should be ashamed of himself. So should Governor Abbott for not doing better action before now. They and letting this get way out of hand by the incompetent drunks that usually run the Texas legislature, which sadly is bipartisan. When it comes to drunkery and debauchery in the Texas legislature, that is a bipartisan tradition. But Robert, uh, it's not like Paxton would have uh, $3.1 million to pay off as a settlement of his own personal funds. Or, I mean, is he that? Is he that? No, I mean, there's probably insurance proceeds available, uh, but he probably assumed that he was being really sued in his state for, uh, official duty. Yeah. So, frankly, it should be covered by state insurance. And the state of Texas didn't want it because it was all part of a setup. So they run to the Texas House. They do a, like a 48-hour impeachment. They don't investigate anything. A bunch of political hacks. I mean, every person who voted for this impeachment should be thrown out. Uh, they get away with it because the ordinary person doesn't have time to focus on these kind of things. And the people that do are on the wrong side. Uh, the Texas Senate should clearly acquit him after the embarrassing record in the testimony. Like everybody that was anti-Paxton thought they were going to hear smoking gun testimony. They were going to hear how he secret meetings and bribes and threats. None of that. None of it. They had no grounds for what they claimed from the beginning. They had no idea. They just made it up. Paxton is completely innocent. And here they're trying to railroad. the It's Republicans in the House, Republicans in the Senate, Republican lieutenant governor, trying to railroad the Republican attorney general because he actually keeps his word to his voters, not unlike a certain presidential candidate. Um, I was listening to some of the analysis. I mean, it, it, again, I, I paid attention. It's, it's too much for me to even know where to begin in terms of understanding this. He's already, so he's been removed from office right now during this trial, correct? Yes. Conveniently, and right after he announced he was going to investigate Pfizer. Remember DeSantis who promised to open up a grand jury in Florida? Where is that? I guess he's too busy going to Iowa State games and nobody knowing who the hell he is. Uh, so the, I haven't, I haven't heard boo from that grand jury uh, in Florida, but uh, Paxton announced his own office was going to open up one. And a week later, they're rushing through this action because most of the Republicans in the Texas legislature are corrupt. They should be impeached and removed themselves. They're allowed, I mean, I think the speaker, one of the lead ones is like so drunk. It's like a common thing. You want to crack up and watch some humor. You tune in and watch the Texas House operating, and he'll be about one in five, two chance. He'll be drunk talking from the thing. I mean, this is embarrassing to say to Texas. But instead, they're trying to derail the only populist that's done anything worth the darn in Texas because the two senators, including Cruz, have been mostly useless. Cruz occasionally does something useful, and then he'll disappear for a long period of time. 
And then the other senator who follows me on Twitter has been mostly a lame-o. Uh, so the uh, Senator John Corbin, I think. But uh, the Governor Abbott occasionally does something useful. But th- this this is ridiculous. This is the guy getting impeached? Well, they, the uh, Kevin McCarthy can't figure out whether he can impeach Joe Biden or Merrick Garland or Lisa Monaco or the FBI Director Ray. What an embarrassment to the Republican Party. What a disgrace. Just like their inability to come to the rallying in the defense of Peter Navarro. Well, hold on. I had one one clip before we get there. I, I think this is the speaker who um, is accused of. Yeah, he was drunk all the time. To not be able to handle your liquor is the bigger sin. I mean, you're, yeah, you're gonna... yeah, well, you're right. I mean, Texas, how drunk do you have to be? The speaker to be... on move adoption. There we go. This is the guy. I think this is what I'm. What Mr. I was... Campbell, send them a amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposition? It's amendment? so bad, Robert. I, you would think the man is mentally defi- mentally and this challenged. This is the guy orchestrating the impeachment amendment, of Attorney amendment General. Amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposition amendment? The chair has none. You see his buddies trying to say, hey. I, I, have, I don't think I've ever been that drunk. Maybe once I've been that drunk, but I like to think that even when I'm absolutely hammered, I, I, I may not know that I'm speaking properly, but I am. That's it. Okay. Yeah, but that's Robert, how embarrassing it is. But he's, 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 he's going to get... It's going along because that's what the Bush Republican Party looks like, folks. That's what it looks like. The Texas speaker drunk off his ass, just like old George W. liked to get. Uh, right down there. And and it's it's the problem with the Republican Party. It's why, you know, Peter Navarro was left out to dry in that crazy, another Bannon-like contempt trial, oh, where he, this he is somebody who's only on trial because he asserted executive privilege, which was his right. The court refused to recognize the executive privilege. The Biden Justice Department corruptly refused to enforce it. And, and, the, and uh, the, it was all because of the January 6th committee, which was busy destroying evidence that could relate to his acquittals. And he was in front of a D.C. grand jury, then a D.C. jury, which meant guaranteed conviction. Emerson poll proved that 92 percent of D.C. people could not commit to the presumption of innocence. Ninety two percent in any Trump connected case. And the conviction of him was purely for a show trial purpose that now he uh, has to appeal. Well, and so, I mean, this is the same thing as Bannon. He gets he gets the subpoena from Congress, says, I have executive privilege. And they say, no, are we dealing with the same type of him having been stripped of his defenses, his affirmative defenses before the trial? Yeah, by the judge ruled uh, that he couldn't defend himself on the reliance defense. He couldn't rely. He couldn't say they relied on counsel. He couldn't say he relied on executive privilege. And he couldn't rely on those as objective defenses as to whether executive privilege applied or not, which, by the way, was the point and purpose of these contempt statutes was that you could test the contempt with executive privilege or any other privilege you asserted. And these courts in D.C. are eviscerating that because he's an enemy of the uh, political apparatus, enemy of the uniparty, just like Ken Paxton, just like Donald Trump, just like Steve Bannon. And that's why they're railroading him in things that make our criminal proceedings. Again, our criminal justice process is making the Stasi and the Soviet system look like uh, beacons of integrity and transparency. Uh, and Robert, it's the same penalty as Bannon for for contempt. It's like a year in jail and a quarter of a million dollars per uh, per infraction. So he- yeah, it's something along those lines. I presume he'll get bail pending appeal. I assume the judge won't be that bankrupt of moral virtue to go that any further. You never know with DC these days. Because just ask Mark Meadows. You would have thought if you had been indicted while for doing things as part of your duty as chief of staff that that constitutes a federal removal, grounds for federal removal. Well, you, but according to the Obama appointee, he was like, what? Chief of staff? What? 
you're going to have to flesh out the rationale because I my brain turned off as I was reading it. But Meadows moved. Uh, he made a motion to move from state court to federal court saying it's federal law that applies. I was acting as a federal employee when I was giving legal. I don't know what he was giving advice as chief of staff. And the judge says, no, you're mo- you, we moved it, but now we're moving it back. So back to state court. Uh, good luck there. Robert, I mean, make sense of the rationale if there is any way to make sense of the logic. There isn't any. It's so, and, and this same judge, if this was an Obama official, he would make the opposite ruling. I have zero doubt about that. Mm-hmm. That's how partisan and political these judges are. It's a classic case of motivated reasoning. He wanted to find an excuse, despite all the evidence, despite all the law, to send this case back to state court uh, rather than have it in federal court. Uh, and his grounds to do so was that anything involving elections is uh, 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 for the presidency is by the con- is by the Constitution. The federal executive branch has no authority, no role, no power whatsoever. That's an illogical statement, and it contradicts this own judge's statements in prior cases, by the way, uh, for reasons that belabor the obvious. We'll see if he makes the same mistake again. Uh, at least Jeffrey Clark got a preview of where the judge is wrong and can anticipate it accordingly and argue against it accordingly. Uh, now, Meadows, the reason why everybody knew, uh, you know, Schaefer and some other people have also brought removal grounds. They knew when they got the lottery and they got the Obama judge appointed that it was unlikely they would get relief. The, the lottery, Robert, is it, do we believe that this was random or do we think that, you know, Who knows? Some of these do- cases seem to magically end up in certain courts. No doubt about that. But they did it so they could get it up to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and they could get it up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, and this issue is an appealable issue to each of those courts. So the uh, so that was why they're pursuing it, because they have substantive defenses that are also relevant that the court could analyze in this context if it so chose. Here, the court concluded anything elect- that involves an election is because of the Constitution that that's a state duty and the executive branch has nothing to do with it. So it could not possibly part of his be his executive duty because the presidency of the United States has absolutely no power whatsoever concerning an election to the presidency of the United States. Then he said later, by the way, he didn't say it that bluntly because that would show what an idiot he was. Uh, and that's why your, your Obama appointees are always really good at, at BSing their stupidity. They, they disguise it and mask it and indirect and this comment, and you got to go over here and you got to go over there. It's like, just quit lying. Everybody knows you're lying when you start doing that nonsense. But the other, his other claim was the Hatch Act says you can't be political. So that means that by definition, nothing you do could, in fact, be part of your duties. Which, by the way, here's the problem. Political concerns a campaign, not what happens after an election on investigating whether or not a presidential election in the United States was stolen. Uh, I mean, by that definition, Barack Obama and everybody could be indicted for their sanctioning Russia because they did so in the name of the election issues of Mm -hmm. 2016. I mean, this judge hasn't thought through all the he just assumes we control the system so it will never be applied against us. He doesn't assume they do and they do and it won't. So, I mean, that's the reality, not an assumption. But Robert, if it's let's assume it's a biased judge who has it in. Why send it back to the state court? Why not? give yourself jurisdiction so that you can then dismiss it at the federal level. Well, the, I mean, at the federal level, the, uh, he would get to control the proceedings from an evidentiary perspective. Uh, but the, the, but not the, but the jury pool 
would be a much more diverse jury pool. Okay. So that's why the democrat that's why the democrat like a a for example, if the a district attorney thought having a democratic federal judge was better than a republican state judge but with a Fulton County jury pool, then she would have not objected to the removal. Uh she quickly did because she understands it's more consequential that the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals is going to get involved more uh, because that's who would re- review a federal decision out of the federal district court and that the jury pool goes much bigger. And you do a whole jury pool, you'll, you'll get an impartial jury out of that if you do your job. Whereas Fulton County, very unlikely you'll get an impartial jury. As we could see by the fact that the special grand jury wanted to indict everybody. Oh, As well, Trump so- put it, uh, <laughs> if you breathe, Within six feet of Donald Trump, they wanted to indict you. Well, so for those who don't know, you'll have to explain the difference between the special grand jury and a grand jury. But the special grand jury, they want, who was it? Lindsey Graham and a number of other politicians. Purdue, Leffler, a whole bunch. Interesting that Kemp wasn't in there, right? Makes you wonder whether Kemp was part of this process, doesn't it? Uh, they wanted. They had voted to indict them, and Fannie Willis, uh, in all of her judicial uh, what's the word, discretion, didn't. Now, Robert. So some people are going to say, "Look, this just shows you how objective Fannie Willis is. She got uh, an overreaching grand jury recommendation and said, no, 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 no. I'm going to put a. I, I'm going to put a tamp on this and only indict those that I think are criminally responsible." Other people are going to say, "This is all the the wild west of political corruption." I'm going to say that this is almost by design where Fannie Willis now gets to hang her hat on said, well, I didn't go batshit crazy, but you know, cause they wanted more. I was, I was reasonable as if to rely on that abuse to legitimize her abuse. Um, and remember what's... this was that wacko witch looking lady oh, that yeah, went yeah. on news that ran this. I mean, a special grand jury is a civil investigative proceeding. Uh, that's another reason why, <coughs> why should have been subject to federal removal. Uh, arguably, Trump's lawyers should have removed it when it was at the when it was at that stage earlier on during the subpoena stage and other stage. But, you know, that ship has sailed now. But it's part of the Jeff Clark's arguments as to why the proceedings should now be removed, because the first this is the first time Clark had ever been notified that even it existed. I mean, they had Cleta Mitchell on that list. Uh, I mean, they, they wanted to go after everybody they possibly could. I mean, this shows you how bad it is. This shows what a joke the grand jury process is. The great, most Americans are getting a crash course in how bad American criminal justice system has been for a long time. They haven't known it. They just assumed, oh, it's an independent process of independent people. Well, no, it's not. Anybody's participated in it. The prosecutor runs it. And a federal judge admitted 40 years ago, it would literally indict a ham sandwich if it was asked to. But what is the difference between a special grand jury and a grand jury? So I, I just oh, it's like a, a special proceeding only in Georgia, which is a the special grand jury has broader investigative powers, but it's purely civil rather than criminal. Okay. It can't indict; it can only recommend indictments. Whereas a criminal grand, regular grand jury can indict. And now, if anyone had any uh, had forgotten how batshit crazy this woman was, are we looking at the same thing? We are. Listen to this. That really, really, when it came down to it, we were just people looking into something. And that's worth it. Did you personally <laughs> want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. Swear and so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in, I just, I kind of just thought that it. would be an awesome moment.
that, that I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm just going to say she's that, nuts. She's that nuts. Woman, you don't have to she, be judgmental. She, she eats, belongs in she an eats, asylum. There's special places for people like that. They're called mental people, hospitals. She eats people's faces and she wears their skin on her yeah, face. Exactly, exactly. Holy crap. I mean, that goes on, by the way. So I could, I could link that. She could have played Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lamb. <laughs> Oh my God. She's like a Julie Delpy, but crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly oh. like a serial killer version. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but speaking of craziness, more misconduct was exposed by in the, uh, Jack Smith by a very excellent Dillard. I see why they were obsessed with getting this lawyer off. So Trump uh, uh, you know, hired lawyers to defend various of his employees. Uh, most insurance agreements require that typically. Um, and uh, one of these lawyers was so effective that Jack Smith went through every means possible to inter- to invade that attorney-client relationship and remove various employees from his legal representation. But, of course, the way he did it was illegal. So what he did, he didn't want to go in front of the Florida federal court system, even though the case was a Florida case, as has now been indicted as the classified documents case. Even though the witness was a Florida witness, even though the lawyer was a Florida lawyer, he went to the D.C. grand jury controlled by that criminal political hack who should have been impeached yesterday uh, running the D.C. federal court system, who has been criminally conspiring to interfere and invade Donald Trump's rights uh, and the American people's rights. Uh, by this was the judge who came in and said, well, I'm going to appoint a public defender to represent you, Mr. Employee, to, m- to make sure you're getting the right advice. The employee didn't recant, as the media said. That's not what happened. What happened is the employee stayed, said the exact same things the employee had said before. So then the prosecutor go, Jack Smith says, well, we're going to indict you and accuse you of a bunch of crimes. Hey, federal public defender, you better get him to cut a deal and change their testimony in exchange for immunity or this landscaper basically is going to go to prison for maybe for life. So, uh, and this was only facilitated by the corrupt judge to picking the lawyer for the employee. Now people forget the star chamber didn't invade the, uh, the, uh, you having a lawyer, what made it so offensive, the star chamber that led to our right to counsel is they picked your lawyer for you. That's what was so offensive. I've had judges go nuts because every time the government ever tries to do one of these conflict tests, in any of my cases, I say, judge, they want you to be the star chamber. You're going to be the star chamber, yes or no? Judge, like, well, Mr. Barr, that's excessive. Let's not compare it to the star chamber. It's exactly what it is, judge. That's why we got this right. You know, tune up on the Constitution. Don't go to the Ben Shapiro school. Uh, go to the uh, Barnes Law School. EdmiBarnesLaw.locals.com. But uh, what this guy exposed, but it wasn't just that. Because they went to D.C., after, they went to do this after the indictment was brought in Florida. But what, so they but, were but, using the D.C. grand jury to invade attorney-client privilege about a person subject to that indictment concerning another person subject to that indictment. But Robert, why is this allowed to stand? It's I not. Mean- it's patently illegal. This is what the judge in Florida had already asked for briefing on that Trump's lawyers kind of skipped the boat on, this guy didn't. He said this is a clear, direct, flagrant violation of the grand jury procedures. He goes, not only is it Sixth Amendment issues with how they invaded the right to counsel, but this is a patent Fifth Amendment grand jury violation. And that fourth, there's only one realistic remedy. 
dismissal of the indictment period that was produced by it. At a minimum, the, the lawyer says, exclude the profits of this. Exclude all testimony and all evidence that they got by illicitly using the D.C. grand jury to then illicitly flip a witness by illicitly invading their attorney-client privilege and making illicit threats of prosecution against them. And so it's a very robust, very sound, and not enough people are commenting on it because it was a very well-done brief. And again, this judge already opened the door to this possibility. So it'd be great to see that. Uh, I think dismissal is appropriate, but at a minimum, exclusion of any witness who's test and, and exclusion of any evidence that was produced or uh, procured in violation of constitutional rights and well, liberties. I, dismissal and sanctions, Robert. Like I, I've got this grimace wrinkle here, but now I'm noticing like my, a scowl here. Like I'm, I'm turning into a bulldog in my face. Okay, hold on. That's amazing. And so what is the next step in as to where that goes? So it'll like, be up to the judge. Wow. So the judge, so we'll see, but this is the judge in Florida. Yeah. Judge Cannon, who's already expressed concern on this precise topic, but it, it's the right path to continue to document in detail how many extraordinary constitutional violations have occurred in these Trump cases. And this is just one more evidence of more And the so-called liberal media. The so-called liberal defense bar is nowhere to be found. Not even well, talking about this they, egregious they abuse. They don't understand it even to the point of asking questions. I don't understand it, but I think I understand it enough to ask the right question. Well, the defense bar knows exactly what's happening, and they're just keeping their mouth shut because they don't like Donald Trump, and it's embarrassing to them, disgraceful to them. All right, now let me do this here because we've fallen well behind. Uh, let me just see. I'll let me see how fast I can do these. Needs trumping. Okay, we got that. Uh, interesting that Meta is not filing. We got that one. Uh, trans judges are real judges. Barnes, you transphobe. That's from Cod Tongues. Ignotum says Trump Republicans win in a massive landslide with a fair election. How do we force the RNC to focus efforts and money on fair elections? Robert, am I going crazy or does the RNC not want? I mean, they don't want Trump to win. I mean, by the way, no, no, of, of course it. not. Hail the founders foreseen the future. Oh, had the founders foreseen the future. Mandatory carry. Thank you. It's the same message every week. Mandatory carry. Thank you very much. Retire geek. I started the stream late, so I apologize if you've already covered this, Viva. I was hoping you would talk about the current Ottawa trial on the Sunday live stream. I'll do that in a bit, actually. We'll do that when there's a, a lull. Entry required said, I have been hammered, but I have never been hammered in public like Tip O'Neill or Teddy Kennedy. I seriously doubt, David and Robert, that you've ever been that drunk in public. A, no, because it's an absolute risk for your own personal safety. And B, no, because you don't feel good the next day. Everybody needs to get up early and exercise. Oh, no, but also you lose your faculties and you are a, you're a, a sitting duck for criminality. Viva's drinking, watch out the <laughs> watch out the windows, the willows whipping in the wind while the Hollisky Hobbit wanders by. Okay, I think I know where you're going with that one. Robert, okay, I'll do a quick, a quick summary on what's going on in Canada. Tamar Leach, Chris Barber have started their four-week mischief trial, Robert. It's 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 nuts. I mean, this is like the January 6th of Canada. It's more polite. And it doesn't carry 22 years in jail. It carries 10 years in jail. Tamara Lich, the Metis woman from Alberta. Chris Barber on trial for mischief, incitement of mischief, and a load of other bullshit charges. Uh, I had on Robert Krychik Thursday or Friday, last week, who's attending every day. And it's a load of crap. I mean, there's, there's, there's no other way to put it. It's a load of crap. They're in, it's a jury trial. No, sorry, it's not a jury trial. It's a judge trial. So no jury. Um... The judge looks like they're being even-handed, yada, yada. There's nothing to summarize about it other than that it's a load of crap, and it's not, I don't think it's going to end well, because 
everyone's been primed to accept the injustice beforehand, much like with Navarro's contempt convictions, much like with all these trials. Everyone's just, the corruption and the injustice is already baked into the result and people have already been primed to accept it. And that's part of my black pill of the weekend. So I'll be following it. It's a bullshit trial and it will go on to be a bullshit trial regardless. Um, okay. Robert, what do we go on to right now? Well, a little bit of white pill news. Uh, the New York vaccine mandate that has been successfully attacked by lawyers connected to children's health defense and others uh, won another verdict uh, this past week when 10 teachers were ordered to be reinstated, found that the New York City school system's refusal to accommodate them religiously based on their objection to the COVID-19 vaccine was arbitrary, capricious, and unreasonable. Uh, pointed out that many of the students were not vaccinated, so it didn't even make sense. It didn't have a rational purpose to it. And they were ordered to not only be reinstated, but all back pay paid to them that they have missed in the interim. So that was a good ruling on, on that side of the aisle. There were some aspects of the ruling could have gone further, and that part they're going to take up on appeal to try to get even more relief and more remedy for more people. Two questions. That includes uh, interest on back pay, correct? Yeah, that's the way back pay typically works. All the pay you would have been paid plus interest from the time okay. of payment when it was due. They appeal it. Do they run the risk of losing the gains, or is the it appeal only- is on the other? There were there was a, a seeking class certification, and that's the where the appeal will take place. That they wanted this to be extended to everybody. Now, uh, grimace, wrinkle, and scowl. This is a white pill, but not. They've been put through hell so they can get what they were entitled to. I guess that's. Ah, uh, but they're pill. willing to fight and ultimately won. And the early prediction was. And all these cases are critical because they're going to be pressing in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will preclude them from doing this in the future. And the assumption was in New York that you wouldn't win because it's so overwhelmingly Democratic. It's judges are Democratic. Politicians are Democratic. The, and they were so pro-vaccine uh, mandates that, that the assumption was you won't prevail. In fact, for firemen, for policemen, for teachers now, They've actually succeeded because they continued to fight despite the odds. Well, it's, it's just in time for them pushing out the new updated boot, the new updated vaccine. Yeah, the new booster you got to take. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, but right. this, this one's supposedly going to work, right? Uh, See, now, speaking of things that don't quite work as they expect, big Fifth Circuit ruling on the abortion pill that we discussed previously. And they're trying to take it. The other side is trying to take it up to the Supreme Court because they were shocked at the ruling. So sorry, I'm not up to speed on this one, Robert. I'll, I'll know what to ask you because I'm familiar enough of what happened. So yeah, this was the case we discussed: the main abortion pill, Mifeprex, I think it's done, Mifeprestone or whatever. I can't pronounce it right, but this is the one that they got approved. By the way, French manufacturer made it, gave it for free to the Population Council. That should tell people a lot about what these big pharma companies are in bed with. Take a look at who the Population Council is. Look at their connection to a certain American family known as the Rockefellers. Look at who the Rockefellers were cited as the ideal example by a certain name called Bill Gates. Uh, <laughs> and you can find out what these people are really up to. But this was the pill that the abortion pill yeah. uh, that was used, uh, that uh, that it was the basis of the sort of liberalizing abortion access. But the problem was this abortion pill doesn't work about one out of five times. And in half of those instances, it just doesn't work, period. In the other half of the time, the other half of those instances, it messes up the fetus. Very, not only that, it messes you up. Uh, Women have to get emergency surgery. Uh, The the, the bleeding is that bad to where they are at risk of dying and have long term side effects. So these side effects 
scared even the FDA back in 2000. And there's something passed in 2007 uh, called REMS, which basically requires risk uh, management and mitigation strategies to be done by the FDA concerning a drug. Look at the benefit of a drug. Look at the downside. How much does the benefit exceed the downside? What steps can you do to maximize the benefit and minimize the risk? And so they put in all these limits on the abortion pill. You need to go see a doctor. They wanted to make sure you had informed consent. They knew that a lot of these women are younger. A lot of them are vulnerable. A lot of them are, are from disadvantaged communities. A lot of them don't come from politically protected constituencies. And because of that, they were worried what's going to happen. Yeah, risk evaluation and mitigation strategies. They, they were like, these people are going to do this without informed consent. They're not going to realize one out of 10 times or so it, it's not going to work at all. Jesus. One out of 10 times or so. You're going to be bleeding so bad you have permanent disability or you die. This, this is this is beyond the morning after pill. This is this is an abortion yes. pill. So what an it abortion does, pill. It, it, it tricks the body into rejecting whatever's going on there by bleeding right. or rejection. Holy and shit. And that's why the risk of it is extremely negative, aside from whatever anybody thinks about abortion. It also originally limited the timetable to very early on and not to later. Well, come along 2016, they start to expand it. And because they see Trump's about to get elected, so they immediately go in and chain liberalize the rules. All of a sudden, you don't need to have a doctor prescribe it. All of a, all the informed consent provisions they eviscerate. In 2021, under the guise of the pandemic, as soon as they get back into power with the Biden administration, they want this mass mail. They want this available. Uh, you can get it ordered remote over the phone. They want to treat this. They want to make this the most accessible drug in the world even though it's one of the most dangerous drugs in the world, again, putting aside the question of abortion, mm -hmm. they dramatically expand the length of time you can take it from or recommend it for. That was now what used to be very early in the pregnancy now can be much later in the and, pregnancy. And, and it's a neurotic. I just presume it's because early on in the pregnancy, taking it, causing the rejection has much less. There's much less to reject. And later on, it's just more complicated. Yeah, the risk goes up and up and up and up. Jesus. And hell. the FDA okay. approved this without any studies on the topic. Like they're making all these aggregate changes and they cited studies that didn't talk about these aggregate changes at all. So it was completely, and they rushed it through. They called it an expedited process, circumvented it, ignored all petitions and protest of it. Pub so it did, did they invoke public health emergency? And I'm being sick. Oh, of course, initially they did, but then they passed it so late that they could no longer even use that as an excuse. They tried to argue that excuse in court. But the court was like, you even internally recognize that by the time you signed off on this, it, because they had to wait until after the Biden administration to get into power and all of his people to be there so no Trump people could block it. Uh, so consequently, it was done over a year after the pandemic when, it was, when there was no real, there was still an emergency on paper, but no real emergency. Plus, they didn't want to limit it to the time period of the pandemic. That's why they had to say it wasn't emergency based because then it would be lost, taken well, away from them. Once the emergency was no longer a state of emergency, which Biden did earlier this year. Yeah, but or just declare unwanted pregnancies a public health emergency. If we don't do this, they're going to go and do all sorts of terrible things to end the pregnancies. All right. So this, this sounds like an absolutely horrific um, medication. Yeah. If we well, can... even worse, if you're a doctor, you don't say you're a pro-life doctor, you often get stuck treating these people and you often have to do an abortion to save their lives. And these are doctors that don't want to do the abortion because they oppose the. They don't want to kill one life to take it to save another life. They don't want to do that. They don't want to be put in that position. Plus, they have to deal with all the other fallout and consequences. So they sue. The district court 
realizes there's some problems here, unique problems. This goes up to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit initially thinks about agreeing to the injunction. Then the Supreme Court steps in and says, no, we don't want an emergency injunction. We want this to keep going. So it went back to the Fifth Circuit for final hearing. And the Fifth Circuit just goes through all the details and says, oh, actually, the injunction has to issue. Because it, it says, look, uh, you can to have this be easily available remotely by the mail with no informed consent provisions put in there when there's major safety risk is not consistent with what F is not going the FDA has to do reasonable things. It has to consider all the evidence. It has to consider all the issues and it can't do something in direct contradiction of the evidence. It did all three. It completely ignored certain issues. It completely, uh, it, it cited studies that actually contradicted and rebutted it. Not just rebutted it, but contradicted it. It's own. The only evidence it had was evidence that said the exact opposite of what it was claiming. There was no evidence at all that this could be done safely, effectively, the way the FDA was saying. None. Zero. Zilch. Zunka. Nada. All the evidence implied just the opposite. And so they just ignored it, pretend it didn't exist, or cited it for the exact opposite proposition of what it stood for. That made it arbitrary and capricious under the Administrative Procedures Act. So the Fifth Circuit came in, set it all aside, said, no, you can't have this remotely done. You can't have this through mail. The 2016 and 2021 amendments that were done to the original authorization, violate the law and FDA's obligations to at least be reasonable, which they were not. And this puts at imminent risk all kinds of very vulnerable women across the country. I don't want to think cynically, but given the objective of eugenics, the indirect risk to the adults is almost yeah, Bill like... Gates doesn't mind that problem. Bill Gates is all in favor of that problem. Okay. <clears throat> Robert, that that's not well. I guess so. The what? what sorry, what was the that was not the white pill. But so, wh where does it stand as far as the judgment goes? So now they're the uh, all the abortionists and eugenicists are going nuts and running up to the U.S. Supreme Court, hoping the Supreme Court steps in again because they can't get the abortion pill, whatever, methepresone, easily accessible, easily available through the mail. So anybody can just, they know that uh, well, they want to kill people. It's that imagine, simple, and they want to make imagine, it as easy as possible. I'll, I'll tell I this might be a little TMI, but uh, it's not TMI because I don't want anyone to think there's anything more to the story than this. At one of my more traumatizing discoveries on the interwebs back in the day, it wasn't even the Internet. It was a photograph in a book was in support of why you should support, uh, you know, reasonable abortion um, exceptions was that if you don't do it, people go to hotels, they, do, they use a hanger. And then there was a photograph of a woman who had died on all fours because someone used a hanger and it bled out. And I don't even know if these things are true anymore based on the way things have gone. Uh, but can you imagine selling this crap over the internet so that somebody is who just takes it at home and has no idea what the heck they're getting into and then bleeds out because that's what this procedure uh, resulted. It's, it's actually, yeah. uh, at the same time that, you know, uh, but there's useful parts of this decision from a standing perspective, from a uh, arbit from an APA perspective, that's helpful in dealing with the FDA in general. It's good to see federal courts finally start to stop the excesses of the FDA, and that's by the way the petition of the Supreme Court's all about by the uh, the people who are on the side of this pill. They're like, hey, you're supposed to defer to the FDA. They're the experts. You're not supposed to be giving your own opinion on anything, and uh, that's. Supreme Court does take it. Hopefully they affirm the Fifth Circuit because the FDA has been deferred to too long and it's led to the harm and danger. Just look at the opioid epidemic. FDA approved the opioid epidemic. 
Obamacare helped subsidize it. Why do you think excess? Why do you think uh, excess deaths and longevity and life expectancy started to decline in direct proportion to where Obamacare was instituted in the United States? Let's look at a timeline, folks. Wherever Obamacare went full scale, particularly its Medicaid expansion program, that was mass and it created all these incentives to just dump opioids on on poor working class people, particularly poor working class people that didn't vote for. Obama, quite frankly, if you look at where the overlap is, or where the, the worst epidemics took place. But all of a sudden, the life expectancy that had been going up, 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 starts to flatline and turn negative. Right. Uh, that's that's who these people are. Uh, I ha- I but, haven't, you know, I the haven't. only lives they care about are illegals that are coming in the country. Uh, and that's our Biden immigration transition. Well, I'll just say one thing. I have not yet seen the Netflix special Painkiller. But, you know, like anybody wants to talk about what promotes uh, negative sentiments about swaths of people because of bad examples of individuals, the Sackler family and the opioid crisis. That's enough. That's enough to, yeah. you know, cause the, people to think the bad parts things. that's under still under examined is the FDA's complicity, the CDC's complicity and the Obamacare's complicity and Obama administration's complicity. They now, were the, neck deep involved with that. And I'm going to I'm going to wa- I mean, I'm going to I'm going to watch that, although expecting what I expect from a Netflix special. Uh, but Robert, do, do I pull up the soundbite of Eric Adams saying how yeah, what did he, he didn't call he called them migrants. He still calls them migrants. Um, unvetted non taxpayers are going to ruin New York. What's the what is the latest on the it's a massive it's a massive fucking problem. People don't understand this or they do and they don't care. What's the latest on the border crisis? So the issue is that Texas, in order that people are coming across the river, so they put in some buoys with razor to, wire, and it it looks very bad. It, causes, it it's meant to almost be a deterrent from them even trying. Yeah, it's not really trying to kill people swimming across the border. It's so that they don't try to swim across the river. And, and, and at the risk of positing the very offensive thought uh, process here, uh, have, has anyone ever seen what's on the outside of maximum security prisons? It's it's not buttercups and rose petals. It's freaking razor wire that will slice you up and kill you if you try to do it because you're not supposed to leave the prison. Now, admittedly, we're not talking prisons here, but you're not supposed to cross a border illegally into someone else's country. And so you do. The buoys look bad, it, it, and especially when they said it was submerged underwater, which I think might mean that at some point it stopped floating and so that you couldn't might have been some natural reasons for which it was not visible, not intended to be a trap. Uh, but Robert, I mean, like, yeah, th- th- there's razor wire around everything, junkyards, prisons, and nobody complains. Around the border, people complain. So what happened? So that the uh, Biden administration sued on the grounds that immigration law is for them to govern and navigable rivers is for them to govern. And that consequently, these, the... Texas had no legal authority to be in, to try to these buoys to restrict immigration. That it was invading a nav, nav, interrupting a navigable river under the federal law, and it was trying to usurp immigration authority, which the Biden administration has. Texas argued they're just trying to enforce immigration law, and Texas argued that there's an invasion, and that they can use any martial or military means when there's an invasion. Uh, under the Constitution. This is, in effect, an attempt to challenge the uh, Arizona versus the United States, the first Obama administration decision that was critical in this space about this. Arizona had passed laws to try to inf- limit the amount of illegal immigrants in Arizona, uh, limit their access 
to employment in Arizona, uh, and the all the and limit their reasons for coming to Arizona. The uh, famous sheriff Joe and and all that uh, from Arizona. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled five to three that Arizona had no legal authority to enforce immigration law. Said that federal law preempts it. Said that the supremacy clause and the naturalization clause trump it. Now, it didn't make a ruling on the invasion clause, but other federal courts of appeal have previously done so, and they've said it's a political question that's left to Congress exclusively, which doesn't make sense, honestly, but I'll get to that in a second. So they said because of, you know, it says Congress has the right to naturalize Congress under the Article One, uh, Congress controls and the executive branch controls relations with foreign borders, and that you combine that with a supremacy clause, any issue of immigration is controlled exclusively by, by the federal government. Uh, now, the decision was 5-3, and there was a con- Kennedy kind of split the baby on some stuff. Roberts and Kennedy joined the three liberals. Alito uh, and Thomas, along with Scalia, dissented. You can assume that Ali- Gorsuch would probably join the dissenters, but you don't. that's not clear for sure. And it would come down to Kavanaugh and Barrett. I would have no confidence in Kavanaugh or Barrett reexamining the Arizona decision. But the Texas case is intended to help bring that about. And they want to challenge it on alternative grounds that the invasion clause preempts or or changes the constitutional authorization. What the invasion clause says is that a state can't, uh, an individual state of the United States cannot declare war or uh, engage in war unless there's been such an invasion. That they don't that it's that it creates a real emergency scenario, if you will. Well, what, 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 why can't Texas invoke public nuisance laws? <laughs> <laughs> because federal preemption. I mean, all, all this is federal preemption. All of oh, this okay. is, and and what Scalia noted in his dissent is he he said historically this made no sense. The idea that immigration was preempted by the federal government. You go back, it was the states enforcing immigration law up until the late middle part of the nineteenth century. So the idea, he said, it's inherent in the power of sovereignty that a state has the right to determine who's within its borders. Uh, and now there's, and he, he goes through the history of the Privileges and Immunities Clause, the Right to Travel Clause, how that was limited to citizens of each state, how the principle of naturalization was intended to get around states having two liberal interpretations of their own state laws for citizenship purposes. And his historical argument is much better than the majority opinion, which doesn't even try to address it. Uh, but Kennedy and Roberts are always very uh, – this is what happens when you get corporate types uh, as the Republican representatives. Uh, remember, the corporate types love illegal immigration. The Reason magazine loves illegal immigration. The Koch brothers. Now, we'll get to ask uh, a libertarian about his where he may disagree with that uh, oh, on yeah. Tuesday. Well, I, I, I not I didn't double book, but I back to back book. So there, I might have. I think I have Tarek Johnson, who's a January six cop, on at seven o'clock. Then we got uh, Dave Smith on at nine o'clock. It's going to be a big Tuesday. Yeah, nine o'clock Eastern. Dave Smith, the comedian, the libertarian oh, candidate. Yes, the uh, friends with Michael Malice. So we have to ask him some of these questions about where he might disagree with the libertarian establishment, if you will, the big libertarian donor class, etc. Uh, but the so the issue is what, you know, do they want to go back and reexamine it, agree with Scalia and Alito and Thomas uh, and say, hold on a second, as we see this flesh out or maybe use the invasion clause as their way to get there. There is a legitimate concern that if you say that the state can, it was, what's the limits on it? 
if a state can just declare an invasion and thereby circumvent uh, the ability to wage war, do we really want that? Because you can imagine, you know, how states might abuse that power. Uh, can they say they're going to wage war with a foreign government, foreign country? Um, what are the restraints there? Uh, people feel they're being invaded. And so the point of that provision was to provide immediate security. The better remedy would be to go with what Thomas, with what Scalia laid out, that constitutionally there was always a role for the states to uh, control their own borders. Uh, and that there should be some recognition of that and that no state has to be burdened by another state's actions or the federal government's actions in this respect. But it's not an easy question. It has lots of policy issues. But what we're seeing is that the Supreme Court's 2010 decision didn't work uh, because the other states are creating problems for states and the federal government's doing the same. And this goes all the way back to the Articles of Confederation, which was much more liberal about immigration rights than the Constitution was, which was meant to preclude one state burdening another state unfairly or injudiciously. And then you have the other component. Apparently, the Biden administration is going to try to prevent them from leaving Texas. And the way it's going to do it is it's going to release the illegal immigrants with some sort of GPS or something else, apparently. Now, they could have always done the GPS. We'll see if they're serious about that because a lot of these people don't come back. But what is they're trying to solve the problem for the New York mayor and the Chicago mayor. And they, what they want to do is say, well, as an immigrant, you can get your work fee, even though you came here illegally, you can get certain, you know, work parole, if you will, something like that, as long as you stay in Texas. Um, and then the question is, what can Texas do about that? Because the, in most of these cases where people, and I think to my knowledge, in all of the cases where people are going between states, the states haven't arrested them. The states have just said, hey, would you like to go see the New York City? Uh, would you like to go to a beautiful sanctuary city in Martha's Vineyard? Would you like to see the great city of Chicago? Here's a free bus ticket and a little bit of cash. Um, and so they're saying yes. What happens if they all say no now because the Biden administration is putting limits on them? All of this is coming to a head because the immigration is way out of control. Illegal, Im illegal immigration is way out of control. And the Biden administration, Democrats are just facilitating and promoting it. And the question is whether the Supreme Court made the right decision all the way back when they said there was no role at all for the states. All right, that's not a white pill, Robert. Uh, uh, hold on. So we're two hours and 15 minutes in. How many do we have left on the list? Oh, just bonuses left. So oh, just so the, for, for those that put in the least a $5 tip question or more, we'll get to it at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, and we got uh, the Oregon bar alternative. We got Owen Schroyer's case. We got a civil Owen rights Schreier. case against government conspiracies. And Whataburger claiming the anti-slap statute prevents you from suing them. Uh, before we go to locals, you all have the link there. I'm going to bring up, uh, I'm just going to bring up two more. There were two more Rumble rants. Uh, true story. This is, this is terrible. Family member died due to tetanus from coat hanger abortion in 1060, California. Father confronted boyfriend blew his legs off deemed justifiable in court. I cannot vet to any of that. But that's a lot of that is uh, upsetting. Orange County in California is banning mandatory mask and vaccine mandates, at least red areas or Orange County or in, or in California fighting back. Do you guys think the governor can override that? Robert, can a, can a governor override that? Uh, potentially. It depends on the state, depends on what he does. 
All right, now what we are doing, people, we are ending. I, I, I saw, hold on, just, just so everybody knows what's going on in the backdrop here. I know Salty Cracker is live. I did not know that this video of this woman flashing the Bathome symbols was new. I don't know who that woman is, um, but I, I saw it. Salty Cracker is live, but come on over to vivabarneslaw.locals.com and you can catch up on Salty afterwards. The, excuse me. The link is there. I've missed nothing, so we're going to end it on a rumble right now. Come on over to vivabarneslaw.locals.com after getting your merch at Viva Fry. Wanted for president, and if the Fulton County wants to come after us, me, oh, let, that'll be fun. All right, I'm going to end the live stream on, if I can, my fat fingers can click this, ending it on rumble in five, four, three. I, I did it before, three, two, one. Robert. All right, now I got to go to locals and I got to go to all of the view tipped and we're going to bring this up here. All of them. I, I've been very bad at limiting it to the $5 and plus, but okay. So we got AB Ohio 17, $5. Robert and Viva, please consider Tom Luong. We had Tom Luong go Tom on Luongo. as a cyber. Yeah, we had him on. Bit of a different geopolitical monetary outlook. Jess Snyder and Brett Johnson. We had him on a while back, but maybe it's time for a reboot. A reboot, eh? A boot. John Clark Law, $5, says, You would think that alternative media would report on the murder and cover-up of the highest-ranking official to, the, to be murdered since JFK uh, or report that the U.S. Court of Appeals overturned, ordered Ken Starr to attach murder evidence to his report on the death of Vincent Foster. This, particularly since it proves Brett Kavanaugh's criminal misconduct, will you or Viva Fry read the summary here? Robert, do you know what he's talking I, I'm about? I'm aware of it. So the uh, Kavanaugh was part of the special counsel team with uh, Ken Starr investigating the death of Vince Foster, and he ultimately came to the conclusion, as well as Ken Starr, that it was a suicide. If you want my opinion, go to the hush-hush on the Clinton <laughs> death curse uh, and the death of Vince Foster. I was in D.C. when that happened. I was uh, ignorant. I was a child. Robert. I actually knocked on his door that that uh, that that Sunday. He was always usually there. Uh, it wasn't that he wasn't there that day. A few Rob, days later, found dead. Uh, Rob Winicky, <clears throat> happy Sunday. This is an advance. He had another great show in Robert's voice. VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com. Oh, equity opinions. Did you hear British MP Andrew Bridgen found out that the Pfizer did a bait and switch? The vax in their study was not the same as it was given to the public. Can't change the tip amount. Uh-oh, someone's coming into the room. Um, okay, I've, I've been infiltrated. How did Mehdi Hassan become a citizen? How did many anti-American statements pre now Okay, that's, uh, he's, I don't think he's a citizen. I think he might just have a, have a visa. Viva coming in so hot tonight. So hot. Uh, okay, entry required. I am far from apathy, and I imagine much of the Viva Barnes Law community have similar sentiments. We got a baby. Oh, that's a okay. There's a baby picture there from Casino. We got the shadow knows. A lot of these takes from both law, Twitter, and academia make me wonder if any of these people have any practical experience in their field. They do not. Uh, I, I don't even think people think about this twice before they, they tweet things out. UK um, Minister of Parliament Andrew Bridgen said Pfizer did a bait and switch. Okay, we got that. The formula in the study was not the same. Who cares? None of them worked. The only question was which one was less harmful. Entry required says, Robert, my head is on swivel. What is going on with the Ninth Circuit Court? I'm seeing things right and left, and I can't figure it out. What's going on here? Robert, did we address that? Oh, you have that different. Already? I mean, you'll get some good decisions on the Ninth Circuit because not all of them are, are uh, you know, Democratic hacks. 
you know, there's just a lot of Democratic hacks in the Ninth Circuit, but they're not all the judges in the Ninth Circuit. We got Pete to base $10. What do you guys think of how Oliver Anthony's songs are going viral with over 65 million in less than three weeks? What I love about oh, it. Thanks to Talix, he put my face on uh, uh, that guy. I so thought, we, got, we got a meme with that. Yeah, but I thought someone was going to get in trouble for that, Robert. I thought either you or Talix or I were like, how dare you? Like, Oliver Anthony's the new saint. No, what I think is better than the 65 million views on his video are the spinoff, uh, pa- not parody, but sat. Not yeah, the sad. rap, the rap the song. Rap. It's amazing. Th- that song, uh, I've seen at least three other remixes. Is not is the word not not parodies. It's 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 a uh, it's it represents a social movement just in time for 2024, also in time for the fall of the world. All right, we got the shadow nose. The only reason they're condemning the governor for her insanity is because she gave up their game before they were ready to make the move. Possible. Uh, beast beastifus says, so how is it legal that Chicago and D.C. can... Well, that's my question. That, that ban has been found unconstitutional. But what about all those signs that I say no guns allowed in restaurants and whatever? Like, Oh, certain places, it's... it's uh, Those laws can be challenged if they can't show a, a reasonable basis in the Bruin decision. The Bruin decision laid out that you could limit it in certain places, but you had to show that they were previously limited at the time of the Second Amendment's passage, which is considered either the beginning of the constitution or the 1860s with the 14th amendment okay we got wwrr55 which I, it looks like war to me but whatever uh five dollars says taibi substack today says he's very unhappy with the fifth circuit vacated the injunction on non-governmental organizations taibi has personal experience with those guys and he's not very happy they are back to work robert, robert do you know what that is yeah, the thing is but all of those places had there wasn't evidence that they had used substantial they weren't that entangled so yes, they have the same objective, but they were not. So if they suddenly try to replace the FBI and the White House and the CDC, and they also use threats and they also try to get entangled, then they will be subject to the same injunction. So the uh, that's where I think people were concerned, but their, their concern was in this case misplaced. We got Matt Hammond who says, "Viva, can you t- can you talk to Locals Rumble about creating a low bandwidth or audio only option in the Locals app?" Uh, and rumble so I can listen while driving. Okay, that's interesting. Let me screen grab that because I know we, we put the podcast up the day after, but that's an interesting idea. No lie with Brian B. Essing. <laughs> okay, so that was a one dollar, but I'm reading that out. Um, okay, we got uh, oh, Patty F. Weber. That's a new name. And it looks like a new avatar. I live in California and I experienced problems in the 2020 elections. In the primary, I was turned away from voting by a Democratic poll worker who said he wouldn't let me vote that day unless I changed my party affiliation to Democrat. Also in the general election, I saw what appeared to be a guy with a van full of ballots dropping them off in outdoor ballot drop box near a vote center. Chrissy, 79. I often wonder here in Ireland, you need... Uh, photographic ID to vote. Postal votes are only in exceptional circumstances. Is it because America is so vast that this could not happen? No, oh, because we, in Canada no, we, we have used it. to have it in America. So it's the whole world does this. I remember I was in Britain once, not long after twenty six. Uh, it was after twenty eight, right up to the twenty eighteen election. Actually, went on a tour, and the 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 lefty guide was there with this guy, I think from India or someplace in Asia. And so he just assumed that the American standard that, you know, he would, oh, yeah, you don't have to show ID. They know how discriminatory that is. And the guy from India goes, what? Anybody can steal your election if you don't have to show ID. 
And then the poor lefty didn't know he, like his cognitive distance. He's like, do I object to the person of racial minority status <laughs> or do I stick you know, with my little, you know, so the, uh, oh, right. yeah, no, it, sir, we could it, easily do it. They just don't want to do it. No, and, and Canada is more vast a country geographically than, than the United States. And oh, we yeah. have voter ID law, we, and a tenth of the yeah, population. Yeah, people living out. All, all, that's why they still say A. You know, yeah. They live everywhere up there. Oh, no, and, we, and we show ID. And, we, and if you don't have ID, you can show like a non-government ID with two pieces of like documents, like of, of a utility bill and a, and a phone bill. No, it's, it's nuts. It's, it's, it's a racist Democrat argument, period. Slim Shagan, Robert Viva. Could you post all video clips of how 2020 was stolen, maybe from, uh, and have attached documents? I was discussing using Wisconsin as an example, but people pointed to Michael Gableman Wikipedia page that nothing of the substance was found. Oh, yes, it's completely false. They just, for the Wikipedia just edits false stuff all the time now. So they, that information is false. You, again, read the report. His report is published report. Guy with questions. Robert, I got a hellish multi-jurisdictional question. Too long, don't... Uh, uh, U.S. Air Force contract employee have TSSCI clearance. A supervisor told the subordinate to defraud the government and violate government accounting rules. When the subordinate, my wife, refused, the supervisor fired the employee. We have supervisor making the illegal request in an audio recording. The case is beyond the capabilities of our lawyer. Is a paid constitution to see? Oh, a paid consultation is, is it possible. Uh, you, Robert, could, you need to reach out on anything like that. Just email. Through the contact page at BarnesLawLLP.com. Best take of yet of 2020 election. Thank you, Barnes. That is from Scribble G. Mandalici, this Texas Ranger Maxwell is the same Ranger involved in Waco and the cover-up of the Bible. Really? I didn't know that. Figures, though. Remember that. Uh, Ignaki, it's Sunday night bonfire. Thanks, Vivian Barnes, Esquires. I am not... Well, I'm, I'm not even... I'm no longer even an Esquire, but that's a, $10. I uh, Okay. Ten, thank you very much. Bender is great. Sent $5. It says, everyone saying Tucker's Obama's gay Twitter interview makes no sense. Is everyone forgetting that the black community is one of the most openly homophobic? Maybe black Twitter doesn't like that they got lied to yet again. That's interesting. I'm going to screen grab that, and I'm going to appropriate that as my own knowledge. I'm not. I'm going to tweet. That's, that's a good point in terms of the strategic justification for that interview, because I didn't like it, but whatever. Does the Biden administration have the courage to normalize Starlink to help preserve Ukraine's freedom? Oh, no, no. no. Nationalize, not normalize. Sorry. Uh, Gray 101. Gray 101, uh, will you, will, who will represent former President Trump now that lawyers are conspirators? Gray 101, if Trump is convicted in a state court, how does he run uh, the county, the country from prison? Robert, yeah, well, that, that, I mean, that constitutional challenge will happen if and when that ever occurs. The uh, it, the reality is that's the point at which they can't enforce that state law. We got Robert. Have you been able to compile a list of good constitutional lawyers you would recommend in Michigan yet? That's from Bree Bear or Bri Bear. Uh, great show. Thank you from Suera Mandalici. Five dollars. Don't forget the FBI raiding and seizing Mike Lindell, Rudy Giuliani and dozens of others in 2020. Election fraud fighters is how the information was gathered. You're goddamn right. And the attorney client privileges have been violated. That is illegal, and Jake Smith has these cell phones and their information. Don't forget that. I just know that I'm buying a bunch of shit from Michael Lindell because his, his deposition, I'm going to have to watch the entire thing thoroughly. Best thing I've ever seen thus far. Crash Davis, Dan Maxwell, Texas Ranger, was key to covering up law enforcement faults in burning down 72 women and children in Waco. We got another one. 
Uh, Hillary Clinton had alloy to do with. Okay, I don't know what that is. Uh, Barnes, we've got a meme. That's 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 not. That's a one dollar. We're gonna skip that one. Uh, Amalcitin. Regardless of what anyone thinks of abortion, it is completely illogical and unscientific to say that the, that a fetus is not a human or not alive, especially since all abortions start with inducing fetal demise. Tampered Barnes. Any hush-hush on government and other state officials convicted or on scant evidence, like Smeglin, Smeglin, Siegelman in Alabama. Also, is there an online contact uh, showing congressional aides' movements to NGOs, private industry, executive agencies? Lastly, turn the 20th century abortion-inducing chemicals were advised as not to be taken by pregnant women. Mail-order abortion chemicals is a century old. Uh, N. Meyer 01. What is with insane women attorney generals and big wide eyes in news interviews it's the eyes the eyes of the window to the soul people gray 101 undocumented americans should remain in texas and arizona civilized states do not have the resources to carry the burden irony and i get it oh son of a gun i just i lost a lot of them here robert um any thoughts on laura loomer's nazi story also update on um the vote trial going on now robert Oh, the true the vote trial. I didn't know there was a true the vote trial going on now, and, and I don't know my, uh, any update on the Loomer story. Great show, you guys. That's from Pile Ninety Nine. They're all illegal aliens. The proper term is replacement wage slaves. I appreciate the point there, Barmelin. Okay, we got that. Thanks for another great stream, gentlemen. That's from U Two UK fourteen ninety two fifteen dollars. Paulus twenty five dollar tips as Viva and Bars. <sighs> Please look at Doctor Sam Bailey. Oh yeah, she's cool. Yeah, we'd love to have her on. Uh, let me screen it and reach out. Yep. On Odyssey, virology is the biggest fraud that was ever conceived. Sharon, she was really good throughout the pandemic stuff. Sharon Lee, uh, $5, says, Dan Patrick said he suggested to Trump what better place should he have the first 2023 rally than Waco, Texas. Okay, I see what Well, I mean, uh, D'Souza's got his new film out or coming out called Police State. That sadly is, you know, you know who had the same film about Waco and related issues about 15 years ago? Alex Jones. Well, he built the church. Alex Jones fundraised to build the church back yeah. on Waco, Texas. That's right. You, went, you guys went up to Waco, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I talked with people there that I did not put on camera and I did not publish. It was, it was revelatory, um, like in, in, in the most sincere way possible. Tim Good, $5, fastest two hours with YouTube. Dude, that's two hours. My, okay, I had a dirty joke. I'm not going to go there. John Ritchie. I had a very mixed feelings about Megyn Kelly. Sometimes I love her. Sometimes I despise her. She can be an, an establishment shill. I have challenged her multiple times on X to review to interview Robert in Georgia. No, I, th I think Megan's good. I think she, she might have her blind spots, but she's good. Robert, can you convince her to do so? Robert, has she not had you on? Well, I mean, I've been on there, but she she decides what topic she wants to cover and what framework, so... That that's 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 Megan Kelly's going to be Megan Kelly. Well, but credit to her for being honest about the fact she suffered adverse side effects from the vaccine that led her to really reopen her mind about vaccines in general. Will January 6th defendants have a chance to appeal and cite the bias of the D.C. jury pool? Slim Pickens with a OK, with Zed. Yeah. And then I think I mean, we're at should. the end of it. Uh, we got uh, Charles Bolin. Uh, there's a DallasExpress.com. OK. Robert, that was, I did it. Uh, somebody who lived in the D.C. suburbs at the time of the death of Vince Foster. Yeah, look up my hush-hush on that. From the USA Herald, the heart of the digital realm pulsates anxiously as Google squares off against the U.S. Justice Department claims that it established an illegal digital dominance 
by shelling out. Oh, yes, the Google, that's true. The Google trial, Monopoly trial is starting. So the uh, that, that that's another case that we'll have to discuss this oh, fall. And then we got our bonus. Okay, let's do it. My back is my side. Uh, Oregon, they're finally considering some bar alternatives, including if you just graduate from Oregon Law School. That's how I got into Wisconsin. But also that you could get there by just practice. If you've been practicing for a couple of years under a lawyer, now they're still requiring a graduate, be a graduate from a law school. I would be in favor of just returning to the old practice principles. Let anybody work for a lawyer for two, for two years and be a lawyer. If that, if that lawyer will vouch for him, end of story. Yeah, but so I, I hope they move more in that direction. Oh, in Schroyer's case, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, the, uh, my boss, my not my boss, my former mentor, I was about to say his name and he might get excommunicated in Canada at this point. He said, everyone should practice before doing the bar exam. This is like, he, and I said, you're, you're right. Like, I, I would be, I would skip the bar exam. I've known dumb people who have passed and smart people who have failed and very smart people who got a 60. I got a 60, Robert. I'm, I'm golfing. Is that good or bad? That's a pass. I, I was oh. like, I, I, I'm on a golf course, but my, and I was like, someone texted me and said, "Was text? Was it text or was it email?" I don't know. They said the the results are in. So I call my mother. I was like, "Mom, go online. Here's my password. Look at this." And she said, "She said you got a 60." I was like, "Is a 60 a pass or a fail?" I know you had to get. It's either 61 or 60. I passed with a 60. I'm a reasonably smart person. I've known dumb people who got 90 and geniuses who failed. Uh, I think two years of practice is worth more than a, a stupid ass bar exam. I, I would say like study the law, maybe get a degree, but yeah, I, I, I would forego the test in its entirety for two years of practice. And you'll also know if you even want to do it at the end of two years, that's the more important thing. Okay. Yeah, to what the else? person who asked about what to do about Michigan, they can support the Michigan electors that are facing criminal prosecution. And in terms of following up on the Gateway Pundit story, whatever else can be done legally there to see that any remedy or relief occurs. Uh, speaking of the election irregularities, Owen Schroyer is facing sentencing related to January 6th. His lawyer's Norm Pattis. For whatever reason, he did a plea deal. I never quite understood the logic of the plea deal. I get that they had him on probation, alleged probation violation, because they previously put him on criminal prosecution for... Uh, for his prior political protest there inside the Capitol. Um, but I thought it was risky to do any kind of deal that puts him at the exposure of a federal court in D.C. without any appellate rights of any consequence. Uh, but maybe Norm knew something I didn't. Well, I mean, it, the, but what the, the government is now demanding is four-month federal prison sentence. And it's based on his speech. Like, look at all the stuff he talks about on InfoWars. It's like, hold on a second. They're like, we're not trying to put him in prison because of his speech. But, Judge, please put him in prison because of his speech. I mean, that's what it is. It's criminalizing his press and his speech activities. And, I mean, in my view, he didn't do anything criminal that day. And, uh, and what they lie about, I was struck by this. They lied about the fact throughout the entire sentencing brief that Alex Jones and Owen and was helping him in this was trying to get people out of the Capitol. That whole day, January 6th. And it's like, how are you criminally prosecuting someone who is trying to keep people from going in? It's one of the craziest things out there. But it's a scary criminal you know, effort by the DOJ to openly and overtly punish speech and press. Uh, and maybe 
I'm, I'm not sure if Norm Pattis made the right decision in this case. Again, I don't know what he knows, but that's the reason why we're discussing here just on locals, not on the on the on the big broadcast. I always had doubts about that when the plea was done. I thought that wasn't – Owen didn't strike me as someone who would normally do that plea unless he thought, oh, this ends it. I have zero time of risk of doing time. I, I can put this behind me and just move on. And clearly that's not what's actually happening. And I wonder whether uh, – knowing Norm, it would be like Norm to not fully apprise him of that. I'll put well, it that way. It's it's. We, I don't think we've seen a circumstance under which anybody has pleaded or pled, and uh, yeah, we've only seen a few. It. And most of them, I could see what Norm was thinking. Everybody else was getting straight probation if they pled, but this was Owen Schroyer. They were always going to treat him differently. And I was always for use uh, for Owen. Is like use your case to expose all the fraud the government was involved in here. And it's like Norm. He got caught up with the Joe Biggs, and and I, there's no way Norm had time to do this case. I'd be honest with you. It, you know, Norm should have once he was doing Joe Biggs, he should have let. Oh, he should have encouraged Owen to have other. Well, but no, but or or um, I'll, I'll steal man Norm, or he's going to say, "Look, you're they're going to they're going to convict you, and you're going to go to jail for twenty years." Oh like, yeah, I could see all that, but it's just like the Norm Owen's. I mean, there was leverage Owen uh, had that was never used by Norm, and I think that's if you're Norm, how in the world do you do the Joe Biggs case? And frankly, any other case. It's one of the issues I've been telling people. They're like, take January 6th cases. I was like, I can't take anything else if I take one of those cases. It will suck all your time if you're going to be competent. And I think Norm was trying to be too generous with his time. When sometimes, I mean, I tell clients, this, sometimes they don't want to hear it. And I'm like, I can't take your case right now. Someone else has got to take it. Um, you know, the, the and you try to recommend who you can recommend. Uh, the, uh, I think that's what. Uh, I, I just I can't believe Norm thought he was going to do four months in federal prison as part of this deal, uh, because, again, in my view, he did nothing criminal in the first place. Yeah. No, and I'll say, like, we, I don't think we've seen any case where someone has borne false witness to themselves, whether it's uh, James O'Keefe, Jenna Ellis, that it hasn't come back to bite them in the ass because it, it seems to do it in every in every circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. The civil rights case against government conspiracies, cops in Alamo, Texas. Okay, I know, I know. I started reading this. I know I read this one. This was falsifying some bullshit charges against a cop because of stolen sunglasses. Exactly. They, <laughs> I mean, it shows you what weaponization looks like just on a micro scale. They wanted the guy out. He, he, I don't even think he stole, he never stole the fucking glasses, but he got these glasses, which they then said, the, we knew who those were. You found them and you put them in your desk. And we had a gag where like someone would put them in your desk. And then they use those glasses as a basis to say that he stole evidence out of a... Out of a yeah, out of a, I mean, they, they, they created an shit. internal affairs investigation, a criminal investigation, tried to get him fired, tried to get him arrested, tried to get him indicted, conspired in all these ways against him. And it shows you two things. Government conspiracies are real. Just ask this guy, and this little cop in Alamo, <laughs> Texas. And it shows you that uh, the, the, you have a right to, to sue when a lot of this happens because it violates constitutional rights and liberties. Uh, and the Fifth Circuit recognized that he could go after certain people, not everybody, but certain people that he'd established evidence of because it was a it was your right to sue when the government conspires to screw you. Yeah, it was, I mean, the, the whole case was so crazy. I, I just read this like, what's the broader context that Robert wants me to understand with this? And it, I guess it's that uh, sunglasses can be the basis of an investigation, falsified charges to fire you, uh, ruin your life. 
criminally charge you if they don't like even if politics. you're a cop yourself right now you think you're protected right you're a mm-hmm. cop you're a law enforcer until they take your gun away and then, and then yeah. you're no they longer your gun away take your job your badge away take your job away and try to put take your liberty away uh it shows the danger of letting these people have power what else See, do we have Robert? and last but not least we have whataburger that tried it so this woman's going to a drive-thru she gets uh rear-ended, rear-ended. twice like not like you know Obama rear-ended, was it- but <laughs> just, just rear-ended. The uh and uh, so and then she she, she tells the papers the drive-through this person keeps hitting me I'm gonna call over I'm gonna call the police, and then the person the drive-through tells that person that did it said by the way that person that you just that was right in front of you they're calling the police on you, and that ticked that person off so they went over to the lot and apparently beat him up or something you, you, the full details you don't get. So she sues on premises liability. Whataburger saying that Whataburger screwed up. Whataburger says, "Well, you were talking about the police. That sounds like petitioning the government. We buy hereby claim anti-slap immunity from suit." Uh, it's like what the heck? Even though the anti-slap law ex- explicitly excludes claims for physical bodily injury, to the credit of the Texas Appeals Court, they said this is clearly an excluded claim and doesn't apply. This isn't this didn't concern speech or petitioning anyway, just because somebody talked about calling the police. She's not suing you because of that. She's suing you because uh, you you didn't make your place a safe place for a customer to be. And in fact, did things that made it even more dangerous. You know, I'm reading this. The only moral of the story is if someone's rear ending you twice deliberately, get the fuck out of there and go home and then and pay for your own bumper afterwards. It'll save you a lot of money. the escalation risk can be way too much on the other side. Yeah. Never screw with someone that has a higher threshold of pain or craziness. <laughs> and someone rewriting you deliberately multiple times has that. Robert, there's one more in there. It is Mandalici says, if you could read, you can do anything. Uh, thank you. And then we got Ithaca 737 Cato. Good book for Viva and Barnes Book Club. Dover edition of the Anti-Federalist Papers. Robert, oh, what's your sca- asked, How can the Justice Department recover? From damage it has caused itself in the public opinion. None, but so good. We need to shrink all these things. Get rid of the CIA. Get rid of 90% of the Department of Justice. Get rid of 90% of the FBI. This is my biggest disagreement with Knowles. Like the problem is that this power even exists. Just get rid of it. The solution is not how can I weaponize it for my side. It's how can we eliminate the, the risk by eliminating this power in the first place. Or as our movie of the week, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Sean Penn's character said, Jefferson's like, we got to have some rules so this doesn't happen again. Uh, that That's the same here. Robert, what's your schedule for next week? Tomorrow I have uh, with the, uh, the People's Pundit at uh, two, thir- 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we'll be on What Are the Odds for the monthly What Are the Odds? And then maybe doing a one other interview. And then there's the 9 o'clock Dave Smith on Tuesday. Yes. Wednesday I have depositions. Friday, I have depositions. So it's going to be next Monday. I'm actually up in Denver. So I, I got a, a, a busy, uh, busy week. Mile High City. Is that what we are? Just so you know, we're live right now. So there's there, how many, how many, there's, there's people watching. Uh, yeah, a little more. 2,000 people are watching you right now. What do you have to say? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <Get out laughs> um, all right. Oh, so, and look, we found four toes, but they were small. He found four toes, but they were small. And I don't think you washed your hands yet. I didn't. Get out of here now. All right. Uh, he touched me. He touched me with his frog hands. Uh, so 7 o'clock, I think, Tarek Johnson, the January 6th cop, 
he did a, he did a Twitter space last week. I think he's coming. Then we got nine o'clock day Smith Tuesday. So Tuesday's going to be a big day. And the rest of the week, it's going to be live. It's going to be wild. It's going to be whatever the hell is going on in the news. Robert, this was amazing. Locals, we're going to end this. And Robert and I are going to say our proper goodbyes. Um, wait, 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 wait. No, you can't do that. Get it. Get out. You're going to say Viva Barnes Law. Say it. <laughs> say it. Get out of here. All right. Uh, everyone, locals, thank you very much. Ending it. Robert Sticker, I'll say our proper goodbyes. Peace out, everybody. <laughs>